everyone, and welcome to The Filmcast, a podcast about movies. My name is David Chen, and I think 28 hours is a long time to be stuck listening to podcasts personally. Joining me today is Devinder Hardwar. I can't wait for the happy-go-lucky COVID musical, Corona on My Mind, aka <laughs> Don't Breathe on Me. Oh, my God. And Jeff Kanata. I would kiss the fish. All right. Uh, <laughs> those are all in reference. I'm, I'm sure you have, Jeff, actually. Like, <laughs> those are all references to the fact that today on the Filmcast, we're going to be reviewing the new musical that's on Apple TV+. Plus. It's called Come From Away. And it's about the events that occurred after 9-11 in a small Canadian town. Uh, does not sound like a great subject for a musical. We will see if it actually succeeds as a piece of art uh, about that topic. Uh, we're looking forward to welcoming Kendra James to the podcast for that conversation. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Uh, I also want to mention a few a few other programming notes. First of all, we're going to talk about the Emmys. We're going to talk about Christopher Nolan's big move. We're going to talk about some what we've been watching this week. Yeah, we should also uh, talk about Norm Macdonald, as somebody mentioned. Yeah, like yeah, yes, at least we to need mention. To talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Norm Macdonald passed away this week. Uh, <laughs> very very sad and sudden. Uh, Nobody knew he was sick. Well, and how sick it wasn't he was. sudden for yeah. him, but it it just did. He, he was private yeah. about it. Yeah. yeah. I think that. I, I will just say that, you know, it's uh, it's interesting to be online right now as as part as like we collectively as a society mourn people together uh, mm -hmm. who are beloved. Um, there's obviously an outpouring of support for Norm Macdonald um, because, you know, he was in, in many ways a comedic genius. I loved his work. At the same time, I'm just going to speak from my own personal experience, like uh a lot of his older work surfaced that was oh, yeah. extremely problematic and upsetting. His, you know? his, and listen, he's a complicated guy. Like I think that entire generation of comedians, right? And it's not just that. Like I think he also aged into being more of an older crank too. But the genius is still there that I, I, I at least want to mention with yeah. his passing. Yeah, uh, I remember seeing him for the first time uh, as a kid. My dad used to often, well, every night he would tape uh, Johnny Carson. Yep. And then later Leno. Mm -hmm. And he would often play stand-up comedian bits from those on VHS to me the next morning. Uh, and we that's one of the things we bonded over. We shared a, a love of stand-up comedy. And he showed me uh, Norm MacDonald on, I believe it was Johnny Carson, doing a bit mm -hmm. about uh, the voices telling you to murder your family. He's like, <laughs> okay, I got my whole family here in this duffel bag. Got my whole family in the duffel bag. And then the, his friend pulls off his mask. I got gotcha! you. I got gotcha! you. I'm not doing it justice, but it was very funny. <laughs> very funny. That was the first time I ever heard of that guy. And then oh, all man. of a sudden he was on Saturday Night Live. I used to I used to tape Conan actually late night. And the ones where Norm would appear were always my favorite because he he had some like oh, yeah. blowout appearances on Conan early on. Yeah, I, I went down a rabbit hole of YouTube videos this last week. A lot of wonderful uh, comedians remembering him. In fact, Conan has a, a lovely uh, YouTube video talking he an, about. He has an hour long that? podcast episode, actually, all about yeah. him, too. So worth taking a listen to. Yeah, he talks about how one of the, the saddest things is that uh, because Norm was so private about his nine years of mm -hmm. dealing with a cancer diagnosis, just unbelievable to me that you would keep that secret that long. Um, he he was he was was not privy to this outpouring of affection that has happened since his passing, and 
um, you know, to Conan's mind, that's one of the saddest things ever because Norm just had no concept of that. The mm -hmm. other thing is, um, have you guys seen, there's a, a chapter in his book that's basically him writing his own epitaph. Oh no. That is unbelievable. I should find it and read a section of it. It's, it's unbelievable if you haven't seen it. Um, mm -hmm. But go is ahead. Is this book uh, based on a true story? I think he only wrote one of them, didn't he? I don't know. Yeah. Um, but mm -hmm. I would recommend for those who have heard about Norm Macdonald's work and they're like, who, who is this guy? They don't know. They don't necessarily know. I agree. Like checking out the Conan appearance is good. I would also recommend his Netflix special, Hitler's Dog, uh, which <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, I think gives a really good sort of flavor of what his style of comedy is. Yes. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, it was, uh, had a lot of complicated feelings, you know, thinking about his older work, thinking about, it, uh, it's, it's rough, like, man. Like yeah. he, he was a guy for who, uh, homosexuality, you know, people being gay was the punchline. Right. And Andy Richter actually talks about that on the Conan podcast because Andy was the butt of that joke. Like a lot of times Norm would go on and basically just insinuate Andy being gay. And that's the joke. That's the comedy. Um, and that's shitty and that stuff doesn't really fly anymore. Um, and certainly there are complaints like about how he talked about trans people. Um, and I'll honestly complaints about women who say they were treated badly yes. by him. Like yes. that's, yep. there's, there's a lot of shit, uh, going on here too. Um, but the guy I saw on stage, I just want to say like, yeah, I saw him a lot and like his, his, uh, the way he delivered, his humor, like he was just so unique and so different and it influenced the way like I think of like when when I try to say something funny. Yeah. Yeah. I almost it, it try probably, to do it like it norm. probably has shaped yeah. like our sort of comic style, as it were, yeah. like our comedic style to the extent that we have any on this podcast. Like it is <laughs> probably instrumental in shaping it to some degree. So yeah. nobody does dry humor like the way he did. Like look at their compilation clips of like all the OJ stuff he did on SNL that got him fired. Because the, the, was the president of NBC was like, stop making fun of OJ. And Norm was like, no, fuck you. Uh, I'm more. going to get fired. Yeah. And yeah, I will just keep making fun of OJ. So that sort of thing is kind of wild. But he's a complicated guy. And I, listen, once, we, once people in this generation of comedy start passing away, it's going to be tough to talk about them. Like the Bill Murray stuff. And certainly like Dave Chappelle and everything. Like it, it's tough to square these people in our modern society given the st the comedy they used to do like eddie murphy's stuff in the 80s not great most of that won't fly now but a lot of people still love him so yeah we're gonna have to have some deep conversations about these people moving forward yeah, all right that, that that cadence of of the saying mm -hmm. the the thing as <laughs> as the joke you know like you know is oj murdered is you know like that that cadence of the punchline is just yeah. stating the fact. Oh uh, man. I think the, it's, it's all him, you know? The one I heard, um, I don't even know how long ago, but it was the one that ended with the, uh, I think it was a weekend update one, but it was the one that ended with uh, basically OJ saying to Johnny Cochran, hey, be careful with that. That's my favorite. That's my special stabbing knife. <laughs> yeah. And that's. Yeah. That's just it. Like that, that is ingrained in my brain and the way he delivered that and like how hilariously funny that is, even though it's like, it's kind of dumb and silly. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, I loved it. Yeah. 
All right. Uh, well, Norm Macdonald passed away this week, and again, uh, there is m- much of his work online. Uh, yeah. Do check Watch it out. Watch all his Conan stuff. Uh, Dirty yeah. Work is not a bad movie. Dirty Work is worth watching. So yeah. The moth joke. The Find moth the joke. The moth joke. It's yeah. unbelievable. One uh, programming note I wanted to discuss before we get to some of the news items this week, uh, and that is, uh, because I, I have I've started uh, tweeting out. From the Filmcast Twitter account, our upcoming schedule because we've been firming up their mm-hmm. upcoming schedule in advance, uh, and so I tweeted out last week that the next four movies we'd be reviewing, and we are keeping to that schedule. We are tweaking it a little bit. Next week, we are reviewing Free Guy, which is out on uh, video on demand. Next week, we are also going to be reviewing Candyman. Yeah, going to be out uh, for rent. It's out for rental right now. Right now, uh, dropped like surprise dropped four weeks after the movie was out in theaters. It, it Actually, was doing weeks. really well too. Um, so yeah, doing I, pretty I was solid. So quickly. they weren't they weren't going to release it, but somebody said its name three times, Indeed. so they had to. Indeed. So next week on the <laughs> podcast, we are going to be reviewing Free Guy and Candyman. It's going to be a double review. That's going to be most of the episode. So look forward to that. Just wanted to let people know um, in case you're prepping for, uh, I I know a lot of people like change what their viewing schedule is based on what we're going to review. We really appreciate that. So next week it's going to be free guy. It's going to be Candyman. Um, And stay tuned to at the Filmcast pod on Twitter to see what we're going to be reviewing in the future as well. All right. A couple quick news items I wanted to get out of the way. First of all, uh, the Emmys were yesterday. Did any of you watch any Emmys? Honest question. And it, it's no, totally no, okay if the answer no. is no. Zero I saw it Emmys. All on Twitter. I'm going to tell you. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. No, that's it. I saw, yeah. I saw it all on Twitter. That's all. That's all I, I saw. I'm going to just say that I watched part of the Emmys. And the only reason I watched the uh, part of the Emmys was so I could talk about them with people and or understand yeah. what people were talking about when they, they wrote about the it. You just watched Emmys to know how to get away from the Emmys. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. And and as I was watching it, I I literally the thought came into my head. I literally would rather be watching anything else right now. Like <laughs> I I had the thought. I was watching them. I'm like I literally would rather. I, I my time would be better spent if I spent ninety minutes watching TikToks than like watching the Emmys. Sure. And I just think the idea of an award show where it's like famous people getting up on stage, j- just as a telecast. Famous people getting up on stage, reading long lists of thank yous to people you don't know. It, it, I I don't think it's going to survive as a television format for another like ten years. Yeah, I, we'll I just have don't to shake think it up for sure. Yeah, that yeah, I just don't think it's going to. And now mm-hmm. there is a whole mm-hmm. infrastructure and edifice around it right now. There is a whole like you know PR uh, industrial studio, complex. Yeah, there's an industrial complex <laughs> that is dependent on the Emmys and the Golden Globes and the Oscars continuing. And th- there is a lot of inertial force from that that might continue, like drive it forward. But like as a broadcast, it is a drag, man. It is not <laughs> fun to watch. Right. right. And so uh, just as a telecast, I thought it was dreadfully boring and painful. But, you know, the, the awards weren't that terrible, I will say. Uh, so my favorite awards of the evening... Were wait, wait, hacks. before you get to that, before oh, you get yeah. that, sorry. I just want to respond to what you just said, because I think I think you're spot on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I I will predict, this is going to sound a little crazy, but I will predict that uh, the person that's going to have the biggest impact on what uh, award shows look like over the next 10 years is Jeff Keighley. Mm-hmm. 
I think Jeff the, Keighley, who makes the game awards. Yeah, he basically is the guy doing big time video game award shows now and big time video game presentations. And I think they are kind of as, as much as it's been a rocky road for video game award shows and him in particular, like he, he mm-hmm. kudos to that guy. Yeah, uh, I know him a bit. And uh, I know that he. this has been, uh, you know, a rough road for a long time. And he's he's kind of hitting his stride now. And I think what those love them or hate them, what those award shows are is really kind of showing a template for allowing a award sh- an award show to still exist and also be something else at the same time. Mm. For sure. And, yeah, and, sure. And I think that that's kind of what you're going to see the Oscars and the Grammys and all those things. I mean, music awards have already sort of been that for a while, I guess, in that they are, you know, excuses for performances that are interesting. But <laughs> I think that the sort of celebration of the medium as and a look forward to what the medium is going to bring you next yeah, is really what those award shows are going to morph into over time. I think better, better commercials. You mean? Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's cynical. It's cynical and, and you're not wrong at all. I mean, that that is like, here, I, I have to cover the Jeff Kelly stuff in the game. Me award too. Stuff. <laughs> and it is, it is fascinating to see because he built those awards. Basically, I think for the longest time, uh, the video game audience was like, where, where is our Oscars? You know, where's our Emmys? And Jeff Keighley managed to build this thing uh, that has full industry support. He's announcing games that, um, you know, uh, he has a platform for it that's basically bigger than E3, you know, or what we used to think of E3. Like, he he is where people go to announce their big things. Um, I never watch it for the awards is the thing. Like, I watch it for the announcements. And maybe that maybe you're right, Jeff. Like, maybe that's where people need to go uh, because there is still value to the awards. And I do wonder, like, how is there? the Emmys and the Oscars. I think Michaela Cole winning, you know, writing for a limited series. Uh, I think that's a big deal. There, like, there it, are there is certainly the marketing categories. value to the awards, yeah. and yeah. Yeah. the people that win awards end up getting opportunities, and th- that's very valuable. Uh, but as a cultural force, I sure. would agree with Jeff's skepticism that, like, most people, unless it's shoved in front of their face in a carousel on Netflix won't know who won the Emmys last night. I mean, and probably, probably. I'm, I'm just stuck. Yeah, the cultural value of it still exists. Uh, I, th- I think it would be wrong to say, let's burn it down immediately because now's the time when like we're actually getting more people of color winning some of these categories. At the same time, I think one of the biggest burns of this uh, this past Emmys was the uh, the Underground Railroad not winning anything. It was nominated in seven categories. I defy you to find something that is shot better, that has a better score, that is more like expertly crafted than the Underground Railroad. And to see like that completely shut out, like, yeah, that that also makes me skeptical, too. So it's I'm of two minds at this point. I, I, I fully support Michaela Cole and a lot of folks who got some recognition. But man, it's like, did did nobody watch the Underground Railroad like your job? was to to watch these things and try to help us figure out like what what is, where are the things we should be honoring. I know you have feelings about Queen's Gambit, Dave. It does seem like a lot of people just watched Queen's Gambit and yeah, uh, I mean, went on that. Let's all let's all start by saying, you know, let's not believe that these are fully meritocracies. Let's not no, believe no, no. that everyone watches everything that they're supposed to watch before they submit their vote. Um but yeah, as you point out Devendra, you know, I'm reading from uh Jen Cheney's 
write-up of, of the Emmys at Vulture. She says, it was hard to overlook the fact that every single acting winner on Sunday night was white, and more mm-hmm. than half of them were British. Those dozen victors <laughs> also represented only five shows total. Uh, now, those are all... Uh, like and, two and, shows. <laughs> yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. that's another mm-hmm. thing is like, there's so few shows actually represented. You have like acting categories that have like five, six nominees with only like three shows represented. You know, it just makes for a very boring evening. Uh, it's not like it's a particularly mm-hmm. ev- interesting thing. So anyway, I mean, just ahead, glancing at the at the winners, it, it looked like, oh, uh, The Crown and Ted Lasso were the only shows that were awarded anything. Yeah. Uh, I, it, the, the, I mean, the highlights- and I love Ted Lasso. I'm, I'm super pleased, but it just feel, it felt like there was really only two yeah. shows that were got anything. I would agree. Highlights for me, uh, Hacks won several awards yeah, for great. writing and directing, and sure. uh, Gene Smart won for being actress in a comedy series, so that was really gratifying. Well-deserved. Uh, Devendra already mentioned Michaela Cole. Uh, I think it, it's actually you know sad that I May Destroy You did not win more awards, because yes. it, it's yeah. like a, an incredibly brilliant work that uh, deserves to be awarded and watched. Michaela Cole also gave one of the best speeches of the evening. Uh, I was fine with the crown winning. I think that's a really good show. Very, very good and deserves a lot of the love that it gets. And then finally, um, there's one other one I wanted to highlight that I thought was like a pretty worth. Oh, yes. Uh, Julianne Nicholson uh, winning Best Supporting Actress in a Limited TV Series or Movie. Uh, she won for her performance in Mayor of Easttown. Uh, that is kind of a uh, an actress that most people probably don't know who she is, mm-hmm. uh, but I think she's been putting in consistently great work for years. Uh, she was great in HBO's The Outsider. She's great in Mayor of Easttown, and I'm really glad to see like a an, an actress mm-hmm. like that, kind of like a character actress who hasn't been in that many lead roles, uh, get a lot of recognition. Uh, so yeah, she's she's awesome, and that was another thing that I, I was really happy with. So I anyway. I, I love Hamilton. I love <laughs> Hamilton. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Does it need to win an Emmy? It's a good question that many people were also asking last night. Yeah. so I love Hamilton. It's brilliant. Uh, Did it deserve to win the Emmy against 846 by Dave Chappelle, a West Wing special, (laughs) Bo Burnham's Inside, David Byrd's American Utopia, and Friends the Reunion is the question, Jeff. No, Friends the Reunion was fucking amazing. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Friends the Union was the Sistine Chapel of variety specials. (laughs) I mean, I would have given it to... About that category, <laughs> I, I'm just saying. Well, yeah, there's a, certainly yeah. a wide that that is the most like widest variety of things. Uh, in, it's in a, one it should just be the shruggy emoji category. I, I, I don't know where, where <laughs> we're we to put this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I'm sorry that you weren't a fan of Hamilton that much, Jeff. Uh, no, it's not that. <laughs> I made pains to say that's we, not we, what we I mean. We can show some love, like Inside deserved it. Uh, yeah, David Inside Burns was Utopia was a, American Utopia was a great production. Yes. Two Spike Utopia was yeah. great. Yeah, uh, I'm sure you guys were very happy to see Ted Lasso like raking in tons of awards sure. last night. Yeah, um, so that's nice to see. Uh, and then, yeah, Queen's Gambit. The, the the big basically winners were Ted Lasso, Queen's Gambit, and The Crown. Um, they, they took like the major series ones. Uh, and, and also streaming uh, so long traditional networks, right? Streamers won. It's super Everything. awkward. It's a super awkward situation. I was doing a Twitter space with uh-huh. Miles McNutt last night after the Emmys and. It's super awkward that you have broadcast networks <laughs> broadcasting the Emmys, yep. and none of them are winning any Emmys. Like, none of the broadcast <laughs> networks are winning any Emmys. So well, it was on they are CBS, broadcasting right? yeah. the thing that is leading to their destruction. It, it is it is insult to injury in the yeah. ultimate form. They have cl- exclusive rights to it, okay? Like, yeah. The, uh, <laughs> the, the buggy whip salesman uh, delivering car parts. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, exa- that's a great... 
great analogy, and uh, it becomes more humiliating yeah. every year when they win. <laughs> Not even the winning no awards; they're like barely nominated for anything. You know, I think Stephen Colbert actually even Stephen Colbert won for his election night special, and I think that was uh, on Showtime, if I if I recall correctly. So like, it's there's very few things that were actually broadcast, if any. Uh, at least at last night's Emmys, I know there was like technical awards earlier that uh, that and below the line awards that probably went to some broadcasters. But yeah, it was a night for streaming, and definitely uh, this event demonstrated that thoroughly. So, uh, just some quick thoughts on the Emmys. Let's move on. This episode of the Filmcast is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service showing exceptional films from around the globe every single day. Mubi premieres a new film from iconic directors to emerging auteurs. There's always something new to discover. And with Mubi, each and every film is hand selected. It's like your own personal film festival streaming anytime, anywhere. I'm telling you, if you are a true cinephile, you've got to see Mubi. There are all kinds of films that are groundbreaking that you won't really find anywhere else. And they're categorized, so they're easy to come to. Adaptation section, I'm, I'm browsing over here, has Martin Eden, the Italian film from just a couple of years ago that was so lauded based on the Jack London novel. A Man Called Ove, based on that, that book. I loved that book. Oh my gosh, this is the Swedish version from 2015. There are documentaries, including a movie called Los Angeles plays itself, which is fascinating. The list goes on and on and on. And you don't have to take my word for it. You can try Mubi free for 30 days at Mubi.com slash filmcast. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash filmcast for a whole month of great cinema for free. Timeless classics, award-winning masterpieces, and festival fresh gems. Discover hundreds of great films Handpicked, streaming anytime, anywhere. Mubi.com slash filmcast will get you a month for free. One other thing I wanted to mention, folks, is I don't know if you guys remember this, but earlier on in the year, we on the filmcast had a mildly contentious conversation about HBO Max uh-huh. and, uh, and how they were going to release every single movie straight to HBO Max, you know, that was going to come out in theaters this year. And, you know, Jeff, I think largely, like, that has happened. They're, they're still releasing them straight. They're releasing them to movie theaters and HBO Max. Yeah. And there was some speculation a while back that, like, maybe they're going to go back on that. But they have not gone back on that yet. Like, as far as we know, in one month, we are going to be able to watch Dune at home on my on your iPhone. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, which is what everyone's looking which for. Which is the way it was intended to be seen. 100%. And Christopher Nolan, at the time, uh, w- was really unhappy that this was announced in the way that it was announced. Uh, he he ripped into them saying, quote, this is, by the way, in December of 2020. He thought the announcement should have been shot in IMAX. Indeed. He said, quote, some of our industry's biggest filmmakers and most important movie stars went to bed the night before thinking they were working for the greatest movie studio and woke up to find out they were working for the worst streaming service, end quote. Such a baller quote. It, it, it is so brutal. <laughs> and but like, I'm going to say a couple things. First of all, I would agree with Christopher Nolan that the way in which they did it, by all reports, was very poor. Like, oh, yeah. They didn't involve talent. 
they broke the theatrical window just really boldly and without <laughs> consulting all the people that were that should have been consulted. Yeah. Uh, but S- at the same somebody time, somebody at Warner like Brothers. I'm just saying, somebody at Warner Brothers yep, has ahead. had a big red button on their desk, you know, just saying, <laughs> in case of theatrical implosion, press press this. And <laughs> they just pressed it one night. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so he was really unhappy with the way it was handled. That said, and, and here's the thing, at the time, in December of 2020, I would argue that he was right about HBO Max not being a great streaming service. Now, in the time since then, I think HBO Max has become awesome. Like maybe yeah. because this of doing what they did. must have. That yeah. is, dude, yeah. that is a a great thing that we have not talked about at all. Which yeah. is how much of a thud HBO Max was released. It, it, it like a lead balloon. It disastrous, it was disastrous, awful. Yeah, awful. And now and, it is a absolute must-have streaming. Yes, series. like it, it is essential. Not only is it releasing shows like Hacks, uh, which is amazing. But you got to have HBO Max if you want to watch movies like The Suicide Squad and Doom, yeah. you know, on day one. Um, so they've done a good job of making it a must-have service. Whether or not turn, it's going to continue that next year, you know, mm-hmm. is an open question. Mm-hmm. But this year, it is a must-have service, and I, I treasure my HBO Max subscription. Be- because okay. they yeah. hit that yeah. button, to be clear. Indeed. Like, it's because they hit that button. Yeah. yeah. So Christopher Nolan was like, okay, well, I've deeply insulted this studio that I've been part of for decades. Uh, it's time for me to pull up stakes and go to another studio. And so he's taking his Oppenheimer. He, he, he's written a new movie about Oppenheimer set during World War II. And he's taking it to other studios. And uh, Apple was in consideration at one point uh, because they theoretically could have promised him a theatrical release. Uh, but it's looking like it's going to land at Universal. And this news was reported along with the list of conditions that Nolan has <laughs> for having a, 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 like a, a movie released at your studio. A jar of only brown M&Ms. Mm-hmm. Indeed. It, it's the equivalent of that, <laughs> except it's... A, so the production budget is uh, $100 million, which is actually not, cheap. Not so bad. For, yeah, not so bad. Cheap for a Christopher Nolan movie. But you're also committing to a $100 million marketing. Uh, total creative control, which I, I believe includes Final Cut, 20% of first dollar growth. So not the profit. Jesus. So like how Jesus. much money it makes at the theater, he's getting 20% of that. And this wait, is wait, the, wait. This is the most pay, intense. When you pay $10 to see his movie, yes. $2, dollars $2 goes is going to Christopher to, Nolan's straight pocket. Straight into Christopher Nolan. Yeah, into before Christopher Nolan's anybody yeah. else touches it, yeah. $2 <laughs> in Christo- one person's pocket. That's wild. Yeah. Okay. And then, but here's, here's the, the coup de grace, Jeff, is... Uh, a blackout period wherein whichever studio is releasing this movie <laughs> cannot release a studio three, I'm sorry, cannot release another movie uh-huh. three weeks before or after the movie is released. <laughs> it's baller. That and is baller. That it's other like, movie he, must never look me in the eye. <laughs> Nothing uh, else exists. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that is a six week exclusivity yeah. window. And by the way, he is also asking for a 100 day theatrical window. So yep. current, currently, the theatrical window for movies like Candyman is yeah, 17 like weeks. Days. Yeah. 17 days. <laughs> it's right? crazy. He is asking for a 100 day theatrical window where it is Over exclusively in theaters. Yeah. Over three months. Which, you know, back in the day was no no big thing at no all. No big deal. Right? No big deal. Yeah. Right. Uh, we, we, that was what we were used to up until two years ago. 
Um, but uh, but now it just seems uh, exorbitant and crazy. This is kind of the situation of like. You know, uh, you're you're a young person. You break up with someone because you're like, I, I, I've you know, I'm gonna get something better out there in the world. And then you go out there and you're like, oh wait, I had a really good thing back there, <laughs> didn't I? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, because Warner <laughs> Brothers was theoretically willing to accommodate all this, and then wow. he goes out there and it's like there is literally at most two studios that are willing to do this, right? <laughs> I, Other than Warner Brothers, and I, the the hundred million dollar marketing budget. I guess that's just normal now. That's normal. That's, that's normal. That seems mm -hmm. so the, the, wild. The to things me. that are that are ridiculous are the twenty percent of uh, first dollar gross, total creative control, uh, blackout period of six weeks, and then hundred day theatrical window. Like, the, like yeah. some sources blackout, by the way have said that he has asked for a theatrical window as long as one hundred thirty days, which is like the, over four months. Go the, ahead, the 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 two out of every ten bucks is is I just can't even wrap my head around that. But but for me the the more interesting one even than that is you can't you can't release a movie three weeks before no. or three weeks after three weeks so before. You, you cannot what release is that about you cannot release Despicable Me four within three weeks of the Oppenheimer film. You got to get Universal. people hungry within six hungry weeks of for it. The Oppenheimer, yeah. <laughs> So, I, wow. yeah, so I, I mean, I think basically he was getting a pretty freaking good deal at Warner Brothers. He's going out there with all these demands and all the studios are like, huh, like they really need to like count their beans before they say yes. But it does look Man. at this point like it's going to land at Universal. Apparently, Sony and Apple were also in the running until the very last minute. Yeah. Um, Imagine Apple, if it was Apple. Yeah. Apple was ready to commit yeah. to a theatrical window, but nowhere near what the filmmaker wanted, according to Hollywood. Of course. Mm -hmm. well, and what a... What a message it would send if he's like screw you warner brothers you're nothing but a streaming service i'm going to apple, apple tv plus <laughs> <laughs> all right anyway uh it's you a know, fascinating look go, yeah i was gonna go see the new uh christopher nolan movie dave but uh three weeks ago uh universal released something else so <laughs> yeah Indeed. Yeah, I, I know that totally impacted my decision to see the new Christopher Nolan movie. So yeah, yeah, uh, it's a fascinating look into what Nolan's demands are. But he's one of the few people on the planet, sure, that can oh, demand yeah. anything like that. He, he or, through or his would. sheer force of will, he is trying to revive the old uh, movie release like system. <laughs> yeah, the, the, basically, the, the, the system where like auteur directors had so much control, and but he is one of the few people. Yeah, that can will into existence a billion yep. dollar grossing film. This, this reminds me of that quite a bit. Yeah, it, it reminds me of that Mark Twain quote: uh, uh, "Human beings are the only creatures that blush or need to." <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh. You know, that's what it reminds yeah. me of. It's like he's the only guy that could do this, or would, or would. You know? <laughs> yeah. So I'm looking forward to the Oppenheimer movie. It's probably going to be at Universal, but yeah, in interesting look into what. Uh, it's like to make a, a Christopher Nolan movie these days. Uh, he'll he'll be like the only one left too. Like it's doing it's like this, literally whereas everyone else him, is doing streaming. Yeah, it, who who else? Him and Quentin Tarantino. Those are the only ones that could command anything close to this at this point. Like I'm not I'm even sure Tarantino could. The Tarantino could, I don't think could. He demand. took he took Sony to the cleaners when he brought mm -hmm. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Did over he? Them. Yeah, two dollars so. out of every ten. No, it wasn't like that. It, it was like. But it was something he got very, very generous terms from Sony. Like to the mm -hmm. to the extent where it's not even clear that Sony got a good deal out of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, more for the clout. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh anyway, this, him, you know, Quinn Tarantino and like M Night not even M Night, you know, like, not even was, no, 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 no. Because he M Night's like self financing his movies at this point. So 
M. Night has uh, learned his. Like, he, he was the guy that could have been Christopher Nolan. You know, yeah, like, he, I, I, like there's he no one, the like ego. not even Martin yeah. Scorsese, maybe Steven Spielberg, but not even him. Not even mm-hmm. him, I would argue. So anyway, um, okay, let's move on to what we've been watching. Uh, you can share things you want us to watch using hashtag slash tag. And also, I want to call out that if you want to support this podcast, it's very easy to do so by going to patreon.com slash film podcast or leaving a review for us on Apple Podcasts. At the Patreon at patreon.com slash film podcast, you can sign up for bonus After Darks episodes at the $10 plus tier. Um, this week, I- I'm just going to call my shot here. I'm just going to say I think this is going to be a very interesting After Dark we're going to record this week. And I'm yeah. not going to talk about what's the topic or what we're going to be discussing. I'm just going to say <laughs> I think it's going to be a good one, guys. I think it's going to be a good one. Dave is very, very confident. You also think next week's going to be very good. I- I've heard. You 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 feel like you're lining no, up no, some I never, quality. I didn't say that. Oh, sorry, misunderstanding. I was talking about this week's. This oh. week's. Uh, this week's gonna be good. Next week's is gonna be trash. <laughs> yeah, next week's gonna be shit. Yeah. <laughs> Patreon.com/slash/filmpodcast. Okay, uh, let's get to what I've been watching. Uh, I watched a movie called Cry Macho. This was a movie that uh, theoretically would have been on the consideration for our main review this week. I'm glad we didn't make it our main review this week. I think we we held off on Eastwood. Uh, was it uh, Invictus was the last one? I yeah, think. and we were like, no more. I- I'm done. The, the, so the notable thing about this movie is that he is in it, right? Like he mm-hmm. he has directed a bunch of movies that he has not been in recently, but he is actually in this one. And uh, so was uh, the 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 car one the last one he was in? The Gran Torino, I think. Gran Torino, I, no, was yeah. he in the Mule? Oh, yeah, he was in the yeah, mule. Yeah, he started in that, yeah. So uh, I'm going to read the plot summary for uh, Cry Macho. Uh, this this was one of HBO Max's day-and-date releases, so you can stream Cry Macho on HBO Max right now. A one-time rodeo star and washed-up horse breeder takes a job to bring a man's young son home and away from his alcoholic mom. On their journey, the horseman finds redemption through teaching the boy what it means to be a good man. Here's what's good about this movie. It's cool to just see Clint Eastwood... 91 years old, still directing movies, still appearing in movies, and there's definitely a lot of meta components to this movie. It's This movie is ostensibly a, a deconstruction of what it means to be a man, right? Of what it means to be macho, which is something that some of Eastwood's films have personified, like Dirty Harry, and some of his movies, like Unforgiven, have tried to deconstruct. And it's it's cool that like you, you got a guy who's seen that much and and done so much in his life still dispensing wisdom to the young'uns. Uh, so that's what's good about this movie. What's bad about this movie? Literally everything else. <laughs> Were there literally, any empty chairs? Yeah. Uh, literally the acting, the script, the the storytelling. Uh, it, it's all just absolutely ludicrous. <laughs> and uh, I, I just... I, it, it's gotten I, I, some okay reviews, which is the surprising thing. Like I saw the A.O. Scott review. I was like, ah, that's, uh, that sounds interesting. Uh, this is a controversial opinion, but I yeah. I feel like people are giving him a lot of bonus points because oh, of the fact yeah. that it's Clint Eastwood. Oh, and yeah. yeah. I just think if anyone else made, if, it was, if this was not Clint Eastwood and that made this movie and literally everything else was the same, like the actors, the performance, everything. It was this, some other 91-year-old filmmaker and actor. <laughs> uh, even just keep the actor. Keep the actor of Clint Eastwood. Like everything else w- was the same and it was directed by some other guy. I just don't think people would be judging it so generously because – Everything about this movie is clunky. And the thing that's so ridiculous is the the dude is 91 years old and he is still making himself out to be like a desirable male specimen in his movies. <laughs> and it's just it it beggars belief. It's it's uncomfortable. 
It's uncomfortable, actually. And uh, I, I think it's kind of ridiculous. Um, but Gr- Grandpa, put that away. Yeah. I'm going to read the first uh, couple minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, or movie, the first like movie ain't called Cry Undesirable. <laughs> <laughs> the movie begins with Dwight Yoakam giving uh, Clint Eastwood's character, Mike, a monologue about his time spent working at this rodeo. Here's what he says, quote, Back when we had winners, I was afraid to lose you to the competition. Five times you won the All-American Futurity, and every time I thought, oh, I won't be able to keep Mike. Somebody's going to grab him. But that was a long time ago, wasn't it? Yeah, that was before the accident, before the pills, before the booze. You look out at that barn there now, a string of second-rate horses. Kind of like my trainer, isn't it? I'm not afraid of losing you to anybody now. You're a loss to no one. It's time for new blood, end quote. And it's just like, it's very clunky. It's very clunky dialogue. It's just like, you're stating the exposition. Uh, there's no subtlety at all. There's no subtext. It's just, I'm saying things that happen, and I'm saying what the themes are, just right up top. And that is kind of what the whole movie is. Um, so... I don't know if I, I I did it justice, but like right right from the opening jump, I was like, uh, I think we're in for for a rough time. We hear it's about a, how he makes movies, and it just feels like a a very difficult way to make something good. You know, he you hear about all these actors who've worked with him, and he basically just does one take, and however it comes out is how it comes out, and he moves on, and it's just sort of like there's no there's no perfectionism, there's yeah. no attempt to refine. It's just let's capture it. And, be home in time for supper. <laughs> I think you really feel that in this movie. Um, it's a slow-paced movie. It's like a hangout movie. It's a hangout road movie. You're kind of hanging out with these characters. And one of the things I will say uh, I should have said is also good about it is uh, the the cinematography, the landscapes are, are all very beautiful. So it actually like looks great. But the the, the story is just ridiculous. It's, just, it's ludicrous. And I, I just don't understand how people can look at this and some of these plot developments and think like, this is what makes for like an interesting or a good movie. The most interesting part is the meta components of watching a filmmaker and actor in his twilight reflect on his own success and, and what it means to be a man. And that part is interesting, but I I think this movie is very bad and uh, I did not enjoy it very much, but a lot of people seem to. And if you're a hardcore Clint Eastwood fan, you might, the movie's cry macho and it's available right now on HBO max. At the end of the day, it's pretty impressive that a 91-year-old man made a movie at all, Dave. I would actually agree with that. Um, yeah. You know, so say I, we I all... I really want to know what his process is at this point. Yeah. Uh, Davindra and I had a chance to check out the Total Recall 4K UHD remaster. Ooh. Yes. I did. What, uh, what inspired you, got you, that Dave? Colin Farrell movie remastered already? <laughs> yeah. 4K Colin Farrell. It's the best. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I had recently acquired this UHD disc because ah. it was on sale for like $9 or whatever. Gotcha. I saw it, it was $5 on iTunes with special features, everybody. Some good sales uh, out there. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, my uh, bubble mate, uh, Carter, had never seen Total Recall before. Oh, yeah. So she that. saw it sitting on my coffee table and she was like, and I was like, let's watch this. <laughs> and so. <laughs> Why is that? Why is that so funny, Jeff? I don't get it. <laughs> She'd never seen it before, so she saw it sitting on my coffee table. <laughs> and uh, and I says, I says, I says, uh, we watch this here movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> you, do you understand the misunderstanding there? No, I don't. She had never seen it before, so she saw it sitting on my coffee table. It sounds like she was sitting uh, on your coffee I, table I, watching I, the movie. I, it's, I, I see. I get it. It struck me as funny. It. It my sounded... my uh, uh, dangling participle. <laughs> yes, indeed. Jerrens are a bitch. I can't, I'm sure, I, I, I'm I sure there was an accident. You, yeah, I guarantee you I'm not the only listener who heard it that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, she saw the Total Recall 4K UHD yeah. disc. Left entirely by my... accident on your coffee table. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we watched it together, and I have to say, uh, this movie is awesome. It has It's a great remaster, too. Yeah. It's a good remaster. Like, some of the effects yep. aren't great, because the, the effects were not made in 4K. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm, and so, like, mm-hmm. a handful of the effects, like, look look kind of rough. Sure. But overall, the disc looks awesome, and the the practical and stuff like this is these are Raboutine special effects. You know, like you're you're getting something that oh, yeah. feels visceral. The the yeah. practical like miniatures and stuff, all that stuff holds up great. Amazing. Like, the the practical like the Mars landscapes and all that stuff that, that holds up awesome. But yeah, the uh, two weeks. Some of the uh, <laughs> some of the CG stuff uh, is not as great, uh, but overall, this is a movie that has everything, man. Like it's just. It, it has like the action. It has the out there sci-fi concepts. Uh, it has the ambiguous ending. Yeah, uh, it, it has I, Arnold uh, waking up and having breakfast like a normal human being. Like I love yeah. all these movies that try to portray him as just like a normal guy too. It's like what what were we doing in the eighties and the nineties? <laughs> like this Hulk of a man is just sitting eating Cheerios. I'm just a dad trying to get a toy for my kid for Christmas. That's all I want. It's amazing. The toy. Devendra, any thoughts on uh, Total Recall UHD? <laughs> it, uh, I loved it uh, just for being a remaster. Actually, I also finished uh, For All Mankind Season 1, and so <gasps> my wife and I, we were like, you know, you know, we need more space stuff. Mm, you know, be so kind of that's cool. why. That's what prompted the Total well, Recall. Well, let's kind of, let's, yeah, I bought it. I saw it was five bucks. There, there were some good deals on iTunes because they also had RoboCop. Uh, I think the 4K, uh, it's 4K. I don't think it's HDR, uh, but there are special features too. So there's some like good sales out there. And when I see those, I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm going to watch this. I want to have this in my library. So, so you yeah. guys didn't coordinate this at all? This just no, was a weird happened. Co- happenstance? Wow. Yeah. Well, I saw it on his coffee table and I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, strongly recommend the 4K remaster yes. of Total Recall. And especially if you haven't seen the movie yet, it's a great way to get into it. Amazing. Yeah. Um, do you have a theory? Like, okay, we're going to spoil Total Recall, right? <laughs> but do you have a interpretation on whether the whole thing was a dream or not? Do you, I mean, it's, yeah. it's clearly left to be ambiguous. Mm-hmm. But watching it again, it's so funny how like when he goes into the recall place for the first time, like every part of the dream yeah. happens in, re- in in the movie right like yes the yes. alien stuff and all the you know like him becoming the hero and getting the girl like it all happens um so i guess i'm curious if you have any opinion on whether it's all a dream or not <laughs> uh i mean I, I think that's the fun of it you know it's uh it, it always felt to me like an excuse for paul, paul verhoven to like go full full weird sci-fi and man i want to see this guy come back to and do a space movie you know or after he's done with his uh sexy nuns movie which we should all watch too um i i love paul verhoeven you know and his sensibility and everything so i kind of feel like you don't you don't set those breadcrumbs up to just you know give up on them it kind of makes sense that it's all like him malfunctioning in the machine uh as, and that allows the movie to go like full camp you know by by the third <laughs> act like it's just yeah, we gotta yeah. turn on this machine to save mars uh, um I, lo- I love that about it so yeah I, it has to be a dream 
or it, a malfunction. It, it is a dream. Uh, yeah. Your interpretation is it's a dream, and Paul Verhoeven has said that there's a bright flash of white light at the end that he intended for people to interpret as potentially like a uh, right an embolism of com- right. some kind that he was having in the machine. Mm-hmm. Um, me, I'm going to say I think it was real because mm-hmm. uh, Sharon Stone and also his like construction buddy were giving him all these weird looks at the beginning of the movie before he even went to recall. I know, I know. And I'm going to say yeah. that happened in the reality of the movie. He, uh, and uh, therefore, it wasn't a dream. That's going to be Ver- Verhoeven knows what he's doing, right? Like, uh, this is also <laughs> a movie where it's like, he's going to give you those breadcrumbs. And he's going to give you the uh, right. you know, all the plot breadcrumbs, too, in the in the Total Recall Lab. So right. it, We're both right. We're both right. That's, yeah. what's, that's what's great it's about fine. the movie. Enjoy yeah. it. Love it. Uh, I forget how the Colin Farrell one ended. But I almost feel like a movie today, you'd almost have to do the post scene. Where it's like him <laughs> and the machine. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know if... if if we made this type of movie today, if it would just end on the happy ending and just be like almost casually uh, ambiguous. Uh, I don't we know. don't get movies like this today, man. We don't. No. We do. And the score and everything like yeah. it just sounds and looks unlike thing. Like, this is a great Jerry Goldsmith score. Yes. It's amazing it score. Yeah. Felt like a flashback to watching this thing on VHS. Yeah. Loved it. All right. That's what me and Devendra have been watching this week. Hey everyone, I'd like to take a second to thank our sponsor, Feels. CBD isn't really about what you feel, it's more about what you don't feel, things like stress, anxiety, and pain. For me, I found CBD to just be a big help when it comes to anxiety and just uh, stressful situations, times when I just really need to feel better or almost on demand. And Feels, I just call a better way to feel better. It's premium CBD that can just help you clear your head a bit, uh, and it's delivered right to your door. It naturally helps to reduce stress, anxiety, pain, sleeplessness. There's no hangover or addiction. Uh, I've, I've always found it useful when it comes to anxiety, too, especially when it comes to big social situations. Um, rather than getting a drink or two, I found CBD and Feels specifically to be a great way to help me just calm down and uh, reduce all of my stressors. You just have to place a few drops under your tongue and you'll feel the difference within a few minutes. Finding your right dose for CBD is a big deal, so if you've tried it before and it didn't really do much, you may just need a little help. So Feels offers a free CBD hotline to help you guide your experience to find your perfect dose and the customer service team will make sure you figure out your best balance. Joining the Feels monthly membership just makes it easy to practice self-care and you'll save money in every order. You can pause or cancel anytime. Start feeling better with Feels. Become a member today by going to feels.com slash filmcast and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash filmcast to become a member and get 50% off automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. Feels.com slash Filmcast. Jeff Canada, what are you watching this week? Oh, a bunch of stuff. A bunch of stuff. Uh, although I will say, Devendra, that next week. Do it. Doing yeah. for all mankind. For all I'm mankind. Diving in. It's gonna be wow. it's gonna be my focus. Is, give is it to get three through. just three episodes before you give up. I'm doing That's it. That's all yeah. I'm asking. Yeah. I'm doing it. Um okay, so this week though, um, the first thing I want to talk about real quick is uh, I watched the pilot episode of The Lost Symbol. Uh, and mostly because uh, one of my best friends uh, directed it. Uh, Dan Trachtenberg, big time Hollywood director, yeah. uh, directed The Lost Symbol, uh, the first episode of The Lost Symbol, which is the new Dan Brown uh, network TV show. It's on It's on Peacock, I think. It's not Peacock. 
It's uh, a it's it's the Robert Langdon character, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. I think it was originally called Langdon, but I, yeah. I think they changed it to the Lost Symbol. Mm-hmm. Uh, regardless. Um, I watched it to, because I, I, I like my friend and I'm excited, uh, not because I, I would have probably watched this uh, for any other reason. I'm not, I mean, I read the Da Vinci Code like everybody else that year and uh, I watched those movies and, you know, there's some <laughs> fun to be had, but this sort of network TV uh, serialized version just didn't really appeal to me. Yeah, yeah. I'm here to say I was pleasantly surprised by the show. Um, it's, uh, I think it's really well cast. I think it, the first episode, at least, and I, again, take with a grain of salt because I'm a ringer here, but really well directed. Like it feels like Dan squeezed uh, a much more cinematic look out of a very TV script, uh, and it really felt exciting and it moved forward. And I, I just thought the cast was was solid and and uh, you know a little surprising that how much I enjoyed the first episode of The Lost Symbol. Probably won't continue with the show, but. For folks that like that kind of stuff. No, I'm just not. It was awesome, but I don't plan to watch any more of it. Yeah, I don't think I will. I, I, you know, I'm sure it's going to stretch out its mystery, uh, uh, you know, much longer than it needs to. Because it just feels like these network shows, you know. Um, so did did Dan only only direct the pilot, or did he direct yeah. other episodes? No, the pilot, okay. just the pilot. So your 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 interest begins and ends with Dan's work on the show, which is yeah. completely understandable. Fair, yeah, yeah. yeah and I, I I I don't know. I'm just, I bring it up. A to support my buddy, but also to uh, say to folks that like that kind of things, you know, the people who watch Bones and whatever, you know, those kinds of shows. Uh, That's what, a very the, different show. I don't Wait, know anything do you know about what Bones is TV. about. <laughs> no, is it about a? Uh, it's a not about I don't know anything about Bones, rob- Jeff. It's it's not <laughs> so about tomb raiding. Yeah. Stop talking about Bones, okay? All right. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so Bones, Bones is a show that lasted forever on TV, so I will I know. That's why I brought it up. Thing. Yeah, but it, I feel like there are those. That, that's what I feel like this is set up to be—a <laughs> show that'll last forever and never really uh, get anywhere. You know what I mean? It feels uh, like one of those. Yeah. But how, how does it compare to the uh, to, to the Mummy, a movie I know you love, Jeff? The um, but I'm talking to the original, the Brendan Fraser, or the, the you, you know that version. I walked out of that movie and I've never seen the whole. thing. We have to do. <laughs> we have to force Jeff to watch that movie. Yeah. Because that movie is so much fun. Yeah. Maybe anyway. a Brendan Fraser <laughs> retrospective Ooh, when hello uh, his new movie. I think he's in the new Darren Aronofsky film. Yes. So yes, he, he was uh, already. Anyway. He was just in a movie I loved this last year. What was that one? Um, yeah, the Soderbergh. Uh, yeah, no such Soderbergh move. movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was he's great, great in that. Yeah. He's also in uh, in Doom Patrol, folks. It's a Fraser song. He's great. Lost Symbol is on Peacock. Uh, Jeff, what else are you watching? Um, I checked out John Bronco Rides Again. Have you guys heard of this? This is on uh, HBO Max, I believe. Uh, and it is a uh, stars one of my favorite actors, Walton Goggins, a guy mm. who can do no wrong, who could do everything and do no wrong. This is a weird thing. I believe it's HBO Max. Is it Hulu? Maybe it's Hulu. Either way, it's a streaming service that this is on. And it is a thing that it can only kind like of it be- is on Hulu, by the way. Hulu. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Pardon me. Uh, Hulu, this is an example of what streaming services have done, which is they've made it possible to put out something like John Bronco Rides Again. Is it a TV show? Nope. Is it a movie? No. What is it? It's like a 20-minute sketch that just exists, and okay, we can put it. It's content. That's what it is. It's content. Uh, And the idea behind John Bronco Rides Again is that Walton Goggins was this – notorious pitch man back in the 80s for the Ford Bronco. 
And he comes out of retirement. Some documentary filmmaker finds him and he comes out of retirement to do an ad for the new Bronco. Uh, but he's, you know, weird and uh, a man from, from a different time. And it's just a, a, a series of jokes that lasts about 20 minutes and seems very expensive <laughs> because uh, lots of lots of period recreation uh, shots of him doing old commercials. And um, I mean, the number of setups they must have had because there's just constant archival footage that is fake of Walton Goggins in various uh, states of, uh, you know, ages and states of, uh, of, uh, 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 fashion nightmare, <laughs> you know, it's Michael uh, Chiklis is in this. Yeah. As himself. Okay. That's... He's interviewed. He cries. Yeah. I, I gotta <laughs> see this. Yeah. It's a weird thing. I mean, it's clearly like Walton Goggins called up Michael Chiklis and was like, Hey man, could you do me a favor? It's, it's worth watching. It's 20 minutes. I laughed. I don't know. It's, to me, the reason this is so interesting is because it's like this new category. Uh, it's like a YouTube video, but done on a streaming service that pays for content. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's very interesting. Is anyway. this, this is a second one, too, because there was just John Bronco, which was released. Oh, last really? Year. I'm not even aware of the first one. I mean, if he if he rides again, he, he must have <laughs> rode. Think, it stands no, to no, reason no, that he rode. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think the idea is that he's pulled out of retirement, right? He was this guy who was in the 80s. That's I'm the seeing idea. a separate IMDb listing for a 37-minute short starring oh, Walter Goggins, too. This is new, so. news to me. I got to go and get the <laughs> All right, so, so you lore. recommend John Bronco, then? Or John Bronco Rides a, Again? I, I think, think you got to start from the beginning, Jeff. I guess <laughs> maybe, I, maybe I missed all the context. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, 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 I didn't get all the cool backstory. But uh, I, I recommend it as, a, uh, as an amusing diversion, indeed. All right, that's John Bronco Rides Again. Apparently, you can view yeah. it without seeing the 2020 <laughs> John Bronco. Uh, wow. And, Th- this uh, is a reboot of the John Bronco. Wow. Yeah, my whole, Hulu. My, whole, my whole universe has just really changed in this moment of realizing. <laughs> You're like, there's more Goggins to watch. Have you guys? <laughs> there's more Goggins. Are you aware of his CBS show? Yes, I've never watched the Unicorn. It. Yeah, where he's like the best possible catch and he's single. The best possible single dad. And uh, I saw the first episode of that show and it feels like everybody exists in the Twilight Zone. It's such a weird (laughs) thing. It's such a like CBS sitcom. And everyone's like, Walton Goggins, you're the world's best dad. Why aren't you? Why aren't you dating more women? And that's the show. Yeah, that's the that's the show. (laughs) There's a reason I haven't watched it. Uh, I do think he can do no wrong, but it's it's possible he did wrong. I don't know. I that felt like a stretch as much as I love him. Yeah. <laughs> I love the guy. Goggins. So good. Um uh, also I watched this week uh we talked about it last week uh, I think a little bit on me saying that I wanted to watch it. Uh 100 foot wave. Mm. Now this is the one that was on HBO Max. I'm 90% sure. Yes, that's um, correct. And uh this is a documentary about big wave surfers toe-in surfers this is a relatively new subdivision of of the sport of surfing uh that has only emerged in the last several years uh these these surfers have figured out a way to surf waves that were previously unreachable because they can they use jet skis to get to them to be towed to them and towed onto the wave um and there allows them to wave to surf waves that are 60 70 80 and of course, the titular 100 foot wave, which is like the uh, 
you know, the, the white whale that they're all attempting to find. Um, it's an extraordinarily dangerous sport uh, for everyone involved, not just the surfer, but the jet ski riders. And this could very easily have been, it seems like it should have been perhaps a, uh, just a documentary film, but it is in, instead a full, uh, what, six, six, ep- six or eight episodes. Yeah, it's like uh, six or seven episodes. I was like, uh, that was my big question is how are they going to sustain yeah. a multi-episode series about this hundred foot wave? My question as well. Uh, I was shocked to, to find that much. Each episode's an hour. So, I mean, it's like a number of documentary films about the same subject. Um, and you feel like, well, once you've seen them right away, have you seen, you've seen it all. But I, I, it's not the case. And it is, it is really interesting. It's a deep dive into the technical aspects of what it takes to, to pull something like this off. I have not finished all, ep- all the episodes. I have watched four of them, I believe. Um, but it's riveting. It's riveting. If you enjoyed um, the uh, the free climbing, uh, it w- was it f- free free solo free solo that movie, which I really enjoyed, uh, but it ma- sort of made my palms sweaty and, and made me anxious. Um, this is a, a similar sensation of watching people do things for no good reason that are wildly dangerous, and but but the level of skill that they're employing, the level of technical um uh, prowess i mean that's that's kind of my takeaway from free solo as well as like wow the the mechanics of just accomplishing this or attempting it is mind-boggling and that's the joy of watching 100 foot wave is there are so many things that the little espn clip that you see of the per- of the tiny little person on a surfboard uh, against the huge, massive wall of water that everybody has seen from these these surfers, does not tell the story of what it took to make that happen. Um, and one of the fascinating things, I, I mean, to continue to compare it to Free Solo, is you have somebody with Free Solo who's looking at the mountain, and the mountain is always there, and they're able to study it and figure it out and pick the right day right. and do and do it. Whereas these these surfers have to a get really lucky that all of the conditions are right to create these waves of immense size, but also they, they are, they're kind of going into it, not knowing where, where the waves headed or what's going to happen, or is it going to change its shape as they're surfing it? And that is just, you know, hearing the detail of the reality of that is really compelling and makes for some riveting watching. Well, Jeff, you've sold me. I'm so into the show. Uh, I'm, I'm not into the show. I mean, I'm very intrigued by the show. I haven't watched it yet, but it is definitely on my list. I'm hoping I'm going to get around to it in the next couple of weeks. I think you'll um, like it. I, it's really interesting. That's 100 Foot Wave. It's on HBO Max. Um, uh, you've watched a couple other things, right, Jeff? Yeah, I want to talk about Why the Last Man. Yeah. Speaking of uh, Mr. Trachtenberg. Yes. Indeed, yes. Um, and that he Trachtenberg. was attached to for quite a while. I believe I could be wrong on this. I believe he was the first director to be attached to it. Yep. Um, when it was originally going to be, uh, when it was really originally optioned and going to be made into a film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he it's, was going to make it into a film. It's weird yeah. how that feels like ancient history now. Like that is. I mean, just, it kind of is. Yeah. <laughs> it's Man. Been, 15 years? I don't know. Yeah. Not that it's, long. No, 10 it, years. it was a while. 2014 was when it officially died. But yeah, yeah. We, we were hearing about that for a while. Yeah. It's uh, time flies. Mm-hmm. But yes, um, definitely. I, 
Dan and I and Alex uh, reviewed the comic book on our show, The Totally Rad Show. Back in the day, I am a big fan of the Brian K. Vaughn comic book mm-hmm. uh, and Pia Guerrero. Um, I, can't, I, mean, I think I mispronounced her name. Um, anyway, um, it, 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 <laughs> it's a comic that I really loved, but I haven't read in a long time. Yeah. And it is very interesting how different that material feels now concept of why the last man is there is some crazy outbreak virus type situation where everyone with a y chromosome dies except this one kid yorick and his monkey and so i mean it takes that notion of what if you were the last man on earth uh, you know, to a kind of comic booky extreme, and uh, I mean, in, in a lot of ways, it's a it's a, a fantasy tale, but it's also an adventure. And he's trying to find his girlfriend, and there are people after him, and it it, it turns into this really yeah. cool. There, there's spy stuff going yeah. on, like yeah, it's, it's awesome place. Yeah, um, but man, I read it years ago many years ago now right and i haven't read it in a long time it's almost 20 and, years yeah yeah and yeah. you can when i read it it was just this sort of abstract concept. <laughs> imagine a virus taking over the planet yeah, yeah. and it's there's just like a fun whimsical flight of fancy of like wow what would it be like to be the last man on earth you know <laughs> it, it becomes this it, it's you know different than reading you know or watching mad max or anything it just it doesn't feel <laughs> it, it's a the realm of the fantasy, right? It is a fantasy yeah. tale, and all even even the wonderful art of the comic that was very graphic and and very detailed. You look at it and you don't think about oh, what would it be like if all the men died, you know? <laughs> and then the show happens this year, and uh, in the middle of a global pandemic, and. Uh, I don't know how you feel, Devendra, but boy, it landed on me in a very different way. Oh, I mean, definitely. But I actually think the interesting thing, uh, I've only seen the first episode, but I've read some reviews and talked to folks who've seen more. Um, this show was developed by Eliza Clark, who's a, yeah. a former writer on The Killing, a show I loved, a Rubicon, a unloved only one season show in Animal Kingdom. I haven't seen that. But based on her work in The Killing alone, I'm like, okay, uh, I'm into what she's putting down here. And it does seem like from what I'm hearing is like there is more going like you're going to hear more about the world and about how yes. women actually have to basically run everything now. And the politics of that, I think, are going to be more uh, very more in focus compared to the comic, which was just like, hey, this guy's on the on these like misadventures and everybody yeah. is really into him. And it was still like very much about him, even yes. though it was all about all the men on Earth dying. Um, I, I, I'm more interested in seeing what they do with this, uh, like this setting. So I think the first episode, pretty solid. Um, I think the biggest downside of the show, I may just be that I don't like the actor who's playing Yorick. Um, ben. Well, Schnetzer. I think you're right in that. Yeah. He is very much de-emphasized. Uh, and, and, and mm-hmm. you know, the, the comic written by a dude all about sort of the world through this dude's perspective. It's like, what, what if you were the last man right, right. on earth? And this show seems to be saying, what if all the men but one died? Yes. What what would we do? Mm, you know, yeah. what would we as the surviving women do? Mm-hmm. And 
the comic gets to a lot of that eventually, but it's only because Yorick is in, in these misadventures and searching for his mom who happens to be a politician and a lot of that stuff, like we arrive at and we get backstory of characters that he runs into later. And the show has re resituated all that so that we're getting all that right up front. We're, mm -hmm. we're hanging out with the women of this world and we're not just seeing it through the lens of, of the last man. We're seeing it through a lot of different perspectives. And I think that makes for a much stronger yes. debut at least. Agreed. Um, yeah. Agreed. Like I'm really digging it. Like, Hey, this is not the time to probably be watching a show that opens with, you know, uh, dead bodies strewn on the street and a, you know, a New York that's shut down and it looks like civilization has ended. Timing could be better, but, uh, I love this story and, I will, you know, I love Brian K. Vaughn enough to like follow what's happening to with his adaptations. I also really like most of the actors involved too. Like Diane Lane is in yeah, this, who is uh, she, she plays a head politician, also the woman who's York's mother. Uh, Olivia Thirlby, who I've always loved and would love to see her more in things, and uh, you know, just just like a bunch of great actors. It's just like the one the one sad thing is like, man, I've imagined so many people as York. You know, yeah. and uh, this guy, no offense to Ben Schnetzer, perfectly capable, I'm sure. But like, he's just not really adding much to this role um, and just like really selling him as like this loser dirtbag that doesn't know what to do with his life. Like that, that's just pretty much it. There's not, not much personality there. But yeah, uh, people, yeah if people want to see that. They can just listen to the film cast. You know? Yeah, time sure. three. Or like so many TV shows made over the last 20 years too. Like it, it feels very reminiscent of like just so much of like, Hey, I'm a, you know, I'm a Brooklyn kid. My parents pay for my rent. Uh, I don't know what to do with my life. You know, stuff like that. Like I don't have enough money at all because I'm so aimless. Uh, maybe he'll step up in future episodes. I don't know. I'm more interested in seeing what happens with, uh, with everybody else. Also, I'm really intrigued by uh, Ashley Romans who plays, uh, agent 355 who's somebody yeah. who's basically like she, she everything she does is in spy mode she she's living in a spy movie that is happening alongside of all this stuff and i find that all really compelling so yeah i i think it's really well made um i'm gonna keep watching for sure yeah yeah i was impressed with it as well and and i i will say though that the first episode gets to the moment where all the men die mm -hmm. And it is, it pulls no punches. It is a very yeah. disturbing visual of, of that. And, and man, I'm surprised that they went there uh, in, in the current climate because it it's, just feels like. It's very oof. graphic. You see yes. parents like, go, go wake up your child for school. Yes. No. Yeah. It, it Dude, hits there, hard. There's, yeah. you know, you, you say all the men die. Well, this show is like, yeah, and and little boys too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a, a shot of a, a woman running down the street going, my baby, my baby. And it's like, oh, gut yeah. punch. There, there's um, a haunting shot of just like a little girl looking yes. through the window of a car and her father is slumped over dead on the, <laughs> the steering wheel. And that's it. And it holds that shot for like 10 or 15 seconds too. Like it is it's a show that doesn't shy away from like just the brutality of what's happening. So I I'm hoping it, uh, it keeps us up. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, that's why the last man it's airing right now on Hulu or FX on Hulu, I think, right. Is, yeah. is the technical. Yeah. Jeff uh, on last week's episode of the film cast, we had a spirited debate about what actually a motel was versus a hotel. Mm -hmm. And Holiday a, Inn. 
uh, motel has external exits. That's one thing yeah. you can tell. Whereas hotel is usually many floors. I will never floors. forget that for the as long as I live. And I'm, <laughs> so, I'm, I'm pleased to say that, that I've that, learned uh, something by being on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Which is something that never otherwise happened. Never has happened um, in yeah. the many years we've been doing it. So that was the, the pre that conversation preceded a discussion of the show Motel Makeover, which is a show that you said you hate. And I did not you, care for it. You, you, took a ba- you took a bat to this show that <laughs> yeah. 99% of listeners n- never even heard of, would never yeah. have watched. Yeah. And I was actually surprised at the, the, the brutality of that because I'm like, dude, yeah. just don't mention it. That's going to do not, not a better worth job yeah. Yeah. of making people not watch this than you Correct. saying mo- don't watch Motel Makeover. Yeah. Uh, why is it on the show notes again today? Kept watching it, Dave. <laughs> uh somebody hates himself yeah <laughs> uh for reasons that escape me um my my wife went let's watch more of that motel makeover show <laughs> and i in my infinite wisdom went okay sure so uh we watched more of it now the really reason i want to bring it up again yes there has better be-, be a good reason but yes go ahead <laughs> i think i think there is a good reason um it's about hotels. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it's, 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 was started, this motel makeover show was started pre-COVID. And in episode like four or three or four, COVID happens. And it is, it becomes fascinating. Like for a brief period, this trite, banal, pandering little show like has to deal with the real world in a very direct way and these these kind of uh what i referred to last week as annoying uh protagonists uh these designers who just constantly are talking about the joan it has to be the joan the joan and uh it's just i i found them grating uh just sort of their their world view <laughs> uh all of a sudden, like they're in lockdown and everything goes shuts down, and there's no hotel or motel industry anymore. Like no one's going to those places. And I just for a brief period, the show gets really interesting because it's like, oh yeah, it, you know, everybody had to deal with this, and let's watch let's watch a reality show deal with reality. I thought, was, I thought that was kind of interesting. All right. Uh, would you say it's worth watching a show? No, no way. No. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for that uh, again, Jeff. <laughs> well, Appreciate you it. know, Jeff, the next time you're in a mad dash to book a vacation spot and something is just named oddly, right? You, you don't know if it's a motel or hotel. You know exactly what to ask your wife. <laughs> Are there external yep. entrances and exits? Yep. Yeah. I'll That's clear it up. Yeah. All right, that is what we have been watching today. It's time for me to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, Theragun. And this is a sponsor that has changed my life. It has become indispensable for both me and my wife. I am not kidding. Indispensable. We rely on our Theragun to get us through some days. Stress, sleeping weird, just... Uh, uncomfortable body aches and pains. If you're an elite athlete or just someone like me who injures themselves sleeping, which happens all the time, 
you're just trying to make it through the day, Theragun can help. I'm here to tell you because I do it. My wife and I live by this Theragun. I'm telling you, what is it? What is it? What is it? You're asking, what is it? Theragun is a handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combo of depth, speed, and power. And it's as quiet as an electric toothbrush. This thing is magic. It looks like a science fiction film prop. It's got an OLED screen, the Gen 4 Theragun, and a design that is so cool and slick. It looks like it's from the future. You can check it out on the website. Uh, and then it's got an app. The Theragun app learns from your behaviors and suggests guided routines. So whether you want to treat your muscle tension from working out, from an injury, or just the stresses of everyday life, I'm telling you there is no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4. It doesn't just feel good. It gets to the source of the pain by releasing tension using Theragun's signature percussive therapy, which goes 60% deeper than vibration alone. We bought one of these for my father-in-law. My wife and I both believe in this. It is a lifesaver. Just a short amount of time using the Theragun, I feel so much better in my neck, my shoulders. You can use it on your legs and back. It is incredible. And it's trusted by 250 professional sports teams like Real Madrid and elite athletes like Paul George, DeAndre Hopkins, Maria Sharapova, hundreds of thousands of customers, and me, me, Try Theragun for 30 days, starting at only $199. Go to therabody.com slash filmcast right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's therabody.com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. Therabody, T-H-E-R-A-B-O-D-Y.com slash filmcast. Let's get to weekly plugs. Weekly plugs the part of the show each week where we plug something that we've created or that someone else created that we're a fan of. I did an interview with uh, the art director of TheVerge.com who has written a new book called Seek You, A Journey into American Loneliness. This is a beautiful book. It's uh, it's like kind of like a graphic novel. Like I talk with her about like what to describe this book as. It's a graphic novel, but it's not a novel. You know, it's not a it's not fictional, but it's like in the style of a graphic novel. And it's this beautiful meditation on uh, loneliness in America and the damage that it can cause and some of the, uh, the solutions for it. And I, I was just very deeply moved by the book. And I had a great conversation with uh, Kristen Radke for Culturally Relevant. Uh, so check out that podcast and uh, we'll leave a link to it in the show notes. Devinder Hardwar, uh, what's your weekly plug? Oh, I was on uh, This Week in Tech, uh, episode 841 this week, and uh, it was the post-iPhone announcement episode, so th that's always fun. I was on with Jason Heiner from CNET and Harry McCracken, uh, you know, folks I, I generally enjoy and chatting with Leo Laporte and stuff. Uh, we had some good chats. I think it's worth checking out, and it, it is funny, like, how unenthusiastic everybody is about the iPhone 13. Uh, I am I am very into that new iPad mini. That is uh, calling yes, to I'm me. I'm more excited about the iPad than the I iPhone. I yeah, yeah that, that I'm mini, straight up not a, not even upgrading to the the iPhone. It's yeah. like why you don't you don't need to. You're totally fine. So uh, yeah, check that out. And we also talk about the the Wall Street Journal and Facebook stories and kind of how how terrible that company is, guys. Like every every day, we learn more and more how terrible Facebook is. But don't worry, they're building glasses with cameras in them, so everything will be fine. 
All right. Uh, well, check out Devendra's appearance on This Week in Tech. Jeff Kanata, your weekly plug? I do a video game podcast called DLC, and we just did episode 409, which you can find at 5x5.tv slash DLC. I thought it was a pretty good one. We were talking about a really big new release called Deathloop. And we oh, had so guests, good. Yeah. It's quite something. And we had uh, guest Janet Garcia on, who had finished the game and uh, speaks rather eloquently about it. It's, I think, a great listen. You should check out my video game show if you don't listen to it already. 5x5.tv slash DLC. Those are our weekly plugs. Let's get to our review of Come From Away. On the northeast tip of North America is a town called Gander. September 11th, 2001. Over 200 planes getting diverted. Even with all the hotels in town, we've got no room. With thousands of passengers arriving at any minute, the town is asking for help with, well, anything you can do. We barely know where we are. Just freaking out. I wish I was home. Thank you for shopping at Walmart. Would you like to come back to my house for a shower? <laughs> Hello? Yes, it's me. Dad, I'm okay. We honor what was lost, but we also commemorate what we found. That was from the trailer for Come From Away, the newest musical that's on Apple TV+. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. 7,000 passengers are stranded after the 9-11 terrorist attacks in a small town in Newfoundland where they are housed and welcomed. Uh, this is the film cast. And joining us for our review of Come From Away, she is a producer at Crooked Media. She's also the author of a forthcoming memoir entitled Admissions, which is coming out January 18th, 2022. Kendra James, welcome back to the Filmcast. How are you doing this evening? I'm great. Thanks for having me back. I'm excited to uh, talk musicals with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's great to have you on. And before we dive into the musical, you want to tell us just a, a quick you know, blurb about Admissions, this memoir that I'm really looking forward to reading? Oh, yes, um, totally. So uh, long story short, I went to a New England boarding school um, and I was the first Black American legacy student, which means I was the first black kid whose parents had gone to oh, the school wow. to yeah. graduate from the school uh in its like 110 year history and um that was fraught <laughs> i can imagine i can yeah. imagine i am looking forward to reading about uh your experiences uh in this book called admissions uh that's yes. coming on january 18th yeah, admissions, and then the subtitle is A Memoir of Surviving Boarding School. So you can sort of see where that's going. <laughs> nice. Indeed, indeed. Uh, well, really looking forward to it, Kendra. Kendra, we really appreciate you joining us today. And one of the reasons uh, I invited you was because I know of your passion for musicals, but also uh, you saw this show live, correct? Yeah, I saw it back in 2017. Um, and admittedly didn't think much of it <laughs> when I saw that, it. That's what a lot of people are saying. It's like, how the hell did this thing survive for so long? But yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, um, well, I, I mean, I have a lot of thoughts on that, but um, <laughs> yeah, I, I did not like love it uh, when I first saw it. And I was actually shocked by how many Tonys it won. 
that said, or not how many Tonys, it, it didn't win like that many um, sort of acting front-facing Tonys, uh, but it was nominated for a lot. And, but that said, re-watching it, it hit me a lot harder this time. Mm-hmm. And any any reason why you think that is the case? I mean, the the, the show that was filmed for Apple TV Plus was filmed after the pandemic, or not after the pandemic because we're still going through it, but like, I guess... It, it, like within yeah. the last six months, so they must. I mean, have it, it was it the around. first. It was, four, it was the first. Yeah. yeah, it was the first showing back on Broadway. So I right. think that is the. It's a return to Broadway and everything too. Yes. So it, it has that kind of emotional weight to it, and uh, and, and the fact that like they turned it around so quickly, I thought was quite impressive. You know, you don't usually film something and then like it's out within six months. Um, but yeah, any reason why you feel like for you it hit a lot harder this time watching it again on Apple TV Plus? Um, I think what you're saying, the audience, uh, and the fact that it was filmed 14 months into the pandemic, that audience was hype. And I think they did a really good job of actually tamping down just how hype the audience was, because I could still tell um, through even what seemed like applause that had been like slightly muted just to you know, keep all the levels correct. Um, everyone was just so thrilled to be there. And it also helped that the original cast... Uh, a lot of the original cast came back and those people also were hyped to be there. They had not performed again in like 14 months. So I think it was just like all of those emotions. And then a lot of the songs, um, despite the fact that they were speaking to 9-11, really were like <laughs> getting me in terms of uh, uh, feelings that I had experienced during the pandemic. Like, get me off the plane. Like, who can't relate to that right now? <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I mean, that's fundamentally one of the challenges of this musical is it's about like the week after 9-11, the things that happened in the aftermath of 9-11. And it is trying to express some of those events in a format that is inherently cheesy or corny, right? Which is like a musical, right? Which most of which are very earnest. Um, they have a certain aesthetic. They have a certain musical aesthetic to them. And Fundamentally, I'm curious for you, did it succeed at walking that fine line of not being too corny, of being emotionally impactful? It sounds like the answer is yes. Yeah, it did. It worked for me. It really worked on me. Um, I think it is still corny. I think it is at its heart. Um, my husband describes it as a musical on Bob's Burgers that is a yes! parody of yes. musicals. It <laughs> um, sounds like a 30 Rock pitch for yes. a 9-11 musical. Mm, yes. Yeah. And not only that, and then like it, the pitch sounds like that, yes, but also like the music <laughs> specifically to yes. me sounds mm-hmm. like something I should be hearing on Bob's Burgers because it's like it's like stomp and clap. And I know that it's, I know that technically the style of music they're trying to echo, uh, what you might have heard in Newfoundland, I guess earlier on, like sort of that traditional sounding music. But what it sounds like in 2021 is like three clicks below Mumford and Sons or yep. like, yep. I don't know, what were some of those other good stomp and clap bands? I, I, mean, <laughs> I think like, I think the way people uncharitably describe it is like Christian rock, you know, or yes. music you might hear like at a, a worship band at a church. Yeah, might make, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, the Bob's Burgers folks went on to make a musical show called Central Park. And uh, it, it this is very much that. You know. Yes, which I just started watching, actually. It's, it's very cute, yeah. Maybe that's why I'm actually appreciating this a yes. little more, too. All right, so Devendra Hardwar, uh, you and I both <laughs> were in college 
when uh, 9-11 occurred and uh, you ended yeah. up moving to New York afterwards um, and kind of got to see how the city reacted in the aftermath of that uh, event. I mean, it was, I moved there in 2008, 2009. Yeah. I, I'm even losing the time now, but you know, it was long afterwards, but yeah, it, w- it wasn't like immediately yeah. afterwards, but like you, yeah. you spent uh, quite a bit of time in New York um, yes. and, uh, and got to see like what the city was like, you know, in, in the time after this happened. And mm-hmm. I'm curious whether or not this musical uh, was meaningful to you at all, given that it depicts uh, these events and, and the aftermath of 9-11. Mm-hmm. Uh, y- you know, it's fine. It's perfectly, it's perfectly fine. But it's, it's actually everything we were saying earlier. I do feel like I remember hearing the pitch for the show, um, you know, when it was being produced, like way back in 2017, I was like, I don't, I don't know who really wants to see that. And it was getting good reviews. And I was like, oh, that's fine. That sounds cute and folksy. I don't know if I'm super interested. Um, watching it now on TV, certainly it hits a little different. Um, just the idea of it, right? It is you know, 20th anniversary of 9-11. We are coming out of the, not even coming out of the pandemic. We are still in the pandemic. We're yeah. in like this holding pattern um yeah we we are all still stuck in the plane um it it is a very unusual spot to watch this musical and i think overall it's fine you know like in many ways it represents things that have always kept me away from the musical genre like a little maybe too cheesy uh maybe a little too hard on its sleeve and i don't i don't know if this show actually reckons with like i what 9-11 meant to me you know, like um, in the aftermath of it, we, Dave and I, we, we both went to school in uh, in New England, uh, college in New England uh, that had, you know, close ties to New York. A lot of people had family in New York. Um, I was taking um, a seminar. I had I was like one of the lucky few taking a seminar with the professor, the president of the college at the time. So the morning of 9-11, I was in the president's office and he was just trying to like console this like small group of students, of freshmen who had no idea what the rest of their world would be like, you know, what their future would hold because of what's happening that morning. And I, 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 the show is about, you know, what happened in this small town and it's a story of hope and humanity connecting. Um, it is a nice thing to see. Uh, I, you know, that, that's not going to be the only nine 11 story people take away. I assume uh, seeing how this country reacted to those attacks and the, you know, the straight up racism that occurred right after that and the way brown people across the country and certainly across the world were vilified um, specifically because of the 9-11 attacks. Uh, this show kind of touches on it in a way, but in a cute folksy way, not in a way that feels um, organic or super real, not in a way that like gets in the way of the really happy, fun Musical, right. right? Like I, it doesn't really dwell on it. It's just like a thing that happens and then it kind of swoops back into being happy. So it's all that. I think this is fine. And if you enjoy it, it's perfectly fine. I don't, none of these songs really stuck with me. It's not something I will go back and listen to, but I'm glad we saw it because we can talk about it now. <laughs> I, th- yeah. I think that it's interesting to ref- to watch something like this in the wake of all the events of the last two months, yeah. let's say. Yeah. Um, when we've seen the US withdraw from Afghanistan and have t- have had time to reflect on uh, the disastrous decisions that have happened in the wake of 9-11 from a foreign policy perspective, yeah. um, to reflect on, as you said, the terrible racism that occurred 
uh, in the wake of 9-11 originally. Like, I, I don't think people who are significantly younger than us really understood how weird and horrible that time right. was. You know what right. I mean? Like, uh, in recent days, uh, I, I've talked on this podcast, I've mentioned on this podcast and Culturally Relevant about, like, anti-Asian racism. And it's like, th- that is like, uh, there was a level of, of, excuse the term, terror that I think uh, brown families felt that is hard to kind of comprehend uh, mm-hmm. and that this musical hints at. Uh, but ultimately, this musical is not about any of that. Yeah, you know we're not I mean? going like, to make yeah. that a bummer. We're, we're not going to have any bummer songs here. You <laughs> right. know, we're, we, well, we, they, gotta, they, we got some stomping to do. Right, they right, barely right. reference yes. sort of the events, which I think is yeah. one of the ways they get away with having a musical about 9-11. Right. Like, I, and I, I think, you know, I think that's exactly right. It's, it's basically like we're going to make a musical that is not about th- any of that stuff. Uh, and the way they do it is they make it about Canadians. Right. It's like right. we're about <laughs> yeah, it's going to sure. be about a the kindness of Canadians. society of people helping yeah. each other. It's it's amazing. Yeah. A mythical world. Exactly. Right above. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think if you are if you are looking to this musical for incisive political commentary about. Uh, how this country behaved and how it kind of uh, self-destructed and collapsed in some ways in the wake of 9-11, you will not find that, right? This is not meant to be that at all. Instead, it kind of is a tangent off of, it's like a very much like the flight that was, the flights that were diverted from their Mm -hmm. destination is like a tangent off of 9-11 that's like, here is a story that you probably weren't aware of and didn't even contemplate that occurred as a result of 9-11, and we're going to try to tell it to you in a very rousing, yeah. uplifting way. I, I did learn Jeff a lot Kanata. about Newfoundland, oh, yeah. by the way, just watching this movie, because, <laughs> yeah. listen, well, I, I grew up in New England, and I, I would look at the map and be like, oh, Canada's right there. What the hell is Newfoundland? Like, it's just this, <laughs> it's just this island that is right there, almost touching Greenland. Like it is, it just felt very unusual and alien, strange to me. And to see it being portrayed here as like basically a quiet Canadian town, uh, or at least one particular town, I, I thought it was kind of fun to see. So yeah. well, here's, here's is it perhaps the laziest name of a place of all time? Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's um, possible. Kendra, what do we call ahead? it? We just oh, found yeah. it. I mean, you know, <laughs> I come from New England. <laughs> You know, I, yeah. I, I no, lived yeah. in New, New, York. New York and New England. <laughs> yeah. are lazy, but literally like a new found land. <laughs> that's pretty lazy. Yeah, yeah. Well, we uh, won't Ken- pronounce it that way. Oh, okay. No, no, well, no. that's fine. No. Kendra, what uh, were you going to say? Oh, I was going to say that um, one of the things that you couldn't do when I saw the show on Broadway, um, and it left me pretty quickly, frankly, so I didn't think to go do that, um, was googling everything that they were mentioning sort of like as it was happening which is what i did while i was watching it this time so i had not read uh for instance like the profile on um beverly is her name beverly bass the pilot the the pilot yeah yes um so i hadn't read the profile between like her and um jen koala the actress um and like didn't know anything about their relationship didn't really know how much of a real character uh, that was and then like sort of did the same thing with all of the other little mentions that were brought up uh, throughout the show and then those pictures and the end credits um, also like really helped inform in terms of like connecting everyone their characters with their real life counterparts I did I, I guess like long long way of saying I didn't realize how much of this really was true mm. you could sort of tell that a lot of the book as it were uh, is direct quotes from interviews. Yeah. It seemed to me that as it was happening, that that's how it was written. Yeah. 
I, I guess the way I came to that conclusion, Jeff, is I feel like this is not stuff you want to lie too much about, right? Because I, <laughs> oh, I feel like they're playing think, with mm-hmm, they're playing mm-hmm. with fire a little bit, right, with this like topic. But and, I also think the sort of yeah. the cadence of of some mm-hmm. of the dialogue mm-hmm. feels mm-hmm. like interview questions answered. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I, at least I got that impression. All right. Well, before I go to Jeff Kanata, I do just want to mention. Uh, I don't think I said this, but we are we are basically gonna quote unquote spoil this musical. So like. I don't think it's possible to really spoil a musical, but to the extent that you can, you should assume that we might drop stuff from the ending yeah. of the musical and so you, on. You won't believe who uh, shows up in the final number, everybody. In, indeed, like, yeah. indeed. Yeah, so so don't, like, you know, li- listen to this if you want to hear us talk about the musical. Don't worry about spoilers, but yes, there will be spoilers for Come From Away. So uh, I, I think it is worth checking out. I am curious to hear what Jeff has to say about it. So curious, Jeff. What did you think of Come From Away? Did this musical work for you? Well, Dave... <laughs> I guess you could say my feelings and thoughts on Come From Away are best summed up in the form of a limerick. A Interesting, limerick, right. I hope. Yeah. <laughs> no, no such luck. Uh, <laughs> to think of so many displaced resulting in kindness and grace is inspiring to me as much as to see a performance of such thrilling pace. Nice. Hey. Oh, I'm glad you liked it, Jeff. I really yeah. did. I I cried a lot during it, uh, which I did not expect to do, but I uh, I I cried a lot. Um, and I think Dave, you actually explained it in a way that I found to be spot on for, for how I felt, which is this is not a musical about nine eleven. Yeah, uh, it's a musical about a very particular thing that happened that most people don't know about, and I didn't know about. Yeah, and in that sense, like it's this. There are a lot of documentaries on the History Channel or whatever, where it's like World War II. Did you know there were like a group of cooks that did this thing? It's like this very (laughs) obscure, like, you know, World War II was such a big thing that there's all these tiny sub stories that are fascinating. And that's kind of how I took this musical. It's, It's not intended to be the the telling of, of the, of the events of nine 11, or even, even like it, it doesn't have the scope to handle that, nor does it want to. Yeah. And yes, I mean, it, it doesn't deal with the ugliness that resulted. It doesn't deal with, uh, the, the geopolitical landscape that resulted, but what it does do, I think for my money is create or express, um, this sort of hopeful side that I actually witnessed in the in the days and weeks that followed uh, 9-11. And everybody talks about it, in, you know, in this kind of wistful way. Is like, remember how we all felt connected as as a, across the globe for that brief moment? Yes. And and I and we did right. Yes, ugliness emerged quite terrifyingly and 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 it has ultimately i think perverted the world in a in a horrible way it is you can draw a direct line to some of the worst things that we're dealing with today from that singular event but that's not what this musical is doing what this musical is doing is reminding us that when the chips were down there were a bunch of people that just wanted to be kind and good to each other mm-hmm. and i found that message yeah, to be yeah. so powerful particularly in this moment when it seems like the simplest things we could do 
people are unwilling to do. That this, this, this cancer of selfishness that has infected everyone, at least in this country, but really around the world, in this moment where we're all interconnected and we're all depending on one another, and there are very simple things we can all do to care for our fellow humans and try to think of other people first. Mm-hmm. Here is this, this moment that happened, this true event that happened where a bunch of people who were scared and uncertain and vulnerable were shown selflessness and kindness. We're shown a, a bunch of people didn't think of themselves. They thought, what can we do? And that moved me. That it continues to move me in this moment as I talk about it. It's it's a it seems to be a all too rare thing and and a a, a sort of a dying notion that mm-hmm. maybe don't think about yourself all the time. It made um, it made me wonder if like this story could have happened in America today. You know, yeah. I mean, and one the, of yeah. the things yeah. one of the things that's most telling about the documentary is like all the Americans are so bowled over by the kindness of these Canadians, <laughs> and then they're like, "Oh, don't worry, you would have done the same thing." And my reaction was, uh, "Would they?" Have? Uh, right. I mean, oh. there, there are examples of it. Like, um, I, I think post Katrina, which was an incredible disaster, but I know all over the country people helped. Uh, even even in our college town. We brought in um, we brought in refugees from Katrina. Uh, I know the college helped out with uh, families of kids, you know, uh, basically students whose families were from Katrina. Like the college yeah. helped out as well. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. things I, I, things I, were done, but yeah, not on this scale. How many years ago was that? Yeah, how many? Yeah, there's, years? De- there's definitely pockets of kindness around the, the country, and it's certainly even the course of the last year, we've seen essential workers. We've seen you mm-hmm. know our course, healthcare yeah. industry continue to like rally and take care of people despite the fact that many people with their actions signify they don't give a shit about them. It's really incredible. To see. But yes, at the same time as there have been those pockets of kindness, we've also seen this kind of uh, recklessness and carelessness pervade many, certainly mm-hmm. headlines. And, and uh, selfishness. It's, it's mm-hmm. really selfishness. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's screw everybody else. And, yes. you know, I, to, to me, like, that's, that's what this musical is. And, and honestly musicals it, as a genre this is what they do best right this is this this kind of emotional journey this uh wearing the heart on the sleeve and that heightened reality uh i i i can't fault the musical too much for eschewing some of the stuff that just kind of doesn't fit um uh, there's plenty of, I think, ways to learn about that. It's just not in the purview of this musical. I, I also want to say, just sort of as a, as a production, as as somebody that's, you know, uh, really loves stagecraft and and performed on stage a lot. I was really impressed as a production what mm-hmm. this thing is. It's kind of what mm-hmm. I said in my limerick, like the pace of this story the way the story is you feel like you're shot out of a cannon yeah. right at the mm-hmm. beginning and it doesn't let up yeah. it doesn't let up it There's is like four applause breaks the entire thing it's just like <laughs> it doesn't stop at it, all it is for any, a yeah. crazy uh um 
um, uh, relay race. Relay race is what I was looking for. Like the baton is handed off so fast and so furious between the actors, between the characters. Every actor on, I mean, it's a true ensemble piece. Every actor plays many characters. Uh, It's impressive to watch. It's impressive that I never lost track of who was who and what story we were following. And and when an actor enters as somebody else, I immediately was clear and with done with very little props and very little costume changes. It's it it just sort of as a production, it's really exquisite and it never slows down. I mean, even Hamilton, there was a few times where I was like, okay, well, let's, let's get back to the (laughs) up-tempo stuff for a second. You know, Um, we didn't need dear Theodosia. (laughs) <laughs> right, yeah. right. Who, right. who gives but, a shit about theodosia guys Come on. <laughs> but uh but but this is just it like it it flew by i thought it was interesting that as a filmed event there's no mention of an intermission it is completely mm-hmm. edited out um which i assume there was an intermission in the live live play uh but i've done productions uh, n- n- several times where it's an ensemble and you never leave the stage it is grueling that is a grueling yeah. two hours to not leave the stage even when you're not on quote unquote you are always on and the energy must always be up mm-hmm. just as a sort of um marathon event of stagecraft it's impressive to watch and see the the energy i mean by the end these these actors have been doing going on 11 for two hours and then there's that final number where it's like oh everybody just turned it to 13 you know it's <laughs> it's really impressive and it's yeah. i think it's fun it, you know fun is a weird word to use about something about this subject matter but i it is fun i think it's it's sweet and beautiful in in a really unexpected way um and i i enjoyed it i mean it's like you know a post postmodern our town <laughs> yeah. it really is uh basically yeah very interesting yeah. well jeff that makes me so happy to hear sorry kendra we're gonna say something or? oh no i was gonna say it it is fun i mean welcome to the rock i mm-hmm. i was like surprised to hear you say you wouldn't go back to any of the songs because it's it's, it's a welcome good it's to a the good rock thing. is a bop when, when they come back to it at the end i'm like okay Maybe maybe you got this one, but you know it, it's not a thing. I'm gonna I'm not gonna cue this up uh, like I do some Hamilton things. But if it comes on, I'll be like, okay, I don't mind that one. <laughs> um, so for one, very rarely can I say I 100% agree with everything Jeff Kanata just said. But in this case, <laughs> it it is the case. Jeff, I'm so glad you enjoyed this, and yeah, I I agree with everything about the production, about this depiction of human kindness. It all swept me away. I also. Uh, had tears in my eyes multiple times. Um, In particular, like there's one scene towards the beginning when uh, they're driving these people that were on these planes off the bus, uh, Mm. on on buses to this place. And um, The the Bible quote? The Bible quote. Mm. They couldn't couldn't communicate with them because they didn't know their language. But the the people in Newfoundland knew the Bible. Yeah. uh, And they saw that the people on the bus who were like from Africa Mm -hmm. had a Bible. Yeah, and yeah. don't say Newfoundland, Dave. You will be sacked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I agree hundred percent, Dave. That that moment absolutely skewered me. I I couldn't be less a religious person, but I found that just such a beautiful expression of uh, of connection. Right, and, the ways in which we're all connected in ways yes. we don't even know. Right, yeah. and, and that's kind of ultimately what this came down to. It reminded me very much of a book I've read that I'd recommend to anyone. It's called One Day, The Extraordinary Story of an Ordinary 24 Hours in America by Gene Weidgarten. 
Now, Gene Weingarten has since, uh, in, in recent days, attracted extremely negative attention for his uh, opinions about Indian food in the Washington Post. But oh my uh, God, it's in, that guy! It's that guy. Wow. But in uh, in the year, uh, what was it? When did this publish? Anyway, it was published in 2019. It was before uh, there was Indian food. It was before yeah, this terrible yeah. opinion about the Indian food. Um, he is a two-time winner of the Pulitzer Prize. He wrote this book called One Day, The Extraordinary Story of an Ordinary 24 Hours in America. And, and basically was like, I'm going to choose a random day <laughs> in American history. And he, he basically like gave like a hat with like a bunch of dates, you know, to three different people. One person chose like the month and one person chose the year and one person chose like the day. And he's like, I'm going to tell the story of everything that happened in America that day. And that's, that, that is wow. the entire premise of the book. Is there not? Is there not a um, like a TV thing that did that? There are there, there are TV that, shows and films yeah. that do like stuff like Apple, that. Yeah. Is there an Apple TV show that did that right when Apple TV launched? There's there's a thirty for thirty that does it with the day that OJ was on mm. the chase and the mm. earthquake, and then there was like one other thing. I hope they like, covered my graduation from high school because I was graduating <laughs> from high school. Yeah. I was at my graduation when OJ was being chased. So I was the, in kindergarten. <laughs> I'm leaving the podcast. <laughs> Maybe first grade. Maybe first grade. Yeah. The the book is extraordinary, and it, it, it you realize how much drama happens in the United States on a daily basis. Um, how many dreams come true? How many people fall in love? You know, how many accomplishments are achieved in the course of 24 hours in ways that we can't possibly comprehend? Uh, and you really get an overwhelming sense of how connected we all are. Again, the name of the book is One Day by Gene Weingarten, and the. Uh, this is what this reminded me of is kind of you take this situation that people it, it tells all these stories that we basically didn't know about. Right. That that happened this day. We didn't know about them uh, unless you'd already seen the musical before. And uh, and it kind of it, it shows you what would happen if you take a random, just a completely random slice of humanity. And just put them in like an ant farm and just like shook it up a little bit, you know, like <laughs> yeah. the, in, in this case, it's like Gander, the town of Gander. But it's like all these random people like that you sit, sit with on a plane like you would never otherwise interact with these people. But through extraordinary circumstance, you're brought together and then with these amazing townspeople. And what happens when these people are allowed to interact? And sometimes the results can be really beautiful. And sometimes the results can also shatter relationships and like make you reconsider your life and so on. But like. It's it's just extraordinary to contemplate um, how we're all connected. Uh, what different interactions could result if just like a little part of your life was different? And obviously, uh, unfortunately, is something that I think the musical acknowledges in the wake of a terrible tragedy. Uh, and I thought it was completely fascinating, but also deeply moving. And I really, really loved it. So uh, those were those were my thoughts. I think we've all shared our overall thoughts. One question I have for you is. This is like the year of musicals at the box office. Like I, I don't, <laughs> I, I don't recall another year where there's been more musicals, high-profile musicals that are released. Right. So we got uh, in the Heights, uh, major release that happened earlier this summer. Um, Come from away, dear Evan Hansen's next week. I'm actually looking forward to reviewing that. But uh, uh, I mean, you, you, so, yeah, you're talking about <laughs> adaptations versus uh, versus stage, and then yeah, West Side Story too. So. West Side right. Story, Steven Spielberg's West Side Story, which I'm I'm so curious about how that's going to go because West Side Story is at extremely problematic. Let's just put it that way. And so I'm very curious to see how Steven Spielberg's going to navigate that. But we've also seen like a mix of like between you know Cats and Hamilton 
from last year as well or a couple years ago, we've seen like uh, a mix of movie adaptations versus just straight up filmed musicals, right? Mm-hmm. Like filmed mm-hmm. stage musicals. And this is a filmed stage musical. And at this point, we, we've seen like enough of them that I feel like we, could, we have like opinions on them. And I'm curious, yeah. Kendra, like, do you have a preference if you had a choice between watching, you know, <laughs> Dear Evan Hansen film stage musical or well, a movie-fied version of it? <laughs> well, I don't uh, really watch either you... of those things. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. But I, I you, went years. So sorry. I went years not knowing what Dear Evan Hansen was actually about, you know. And then once that uh, once that movie got greenlit and people started talking about, it, I was like, "What the hell?" So this is what you loved on Broadway. <laughs> yeah. So here's the thing: Pasek and Paul, who are the composers who did the music for Dear Evan Hansen, they they also did the music for La La Land, another movie that I don't love. Um, however. I do love The Greatest Showman, which is their other movie musical. Mm. <laughs> yeah, uh, I yeah. think The Greatest Showman is like one of the best musicals of like the past decade. I love it so much. I know that's not a popular opinion, um, but every song in their hits, uh, it's really, it's, well, no, I can't say it's really well directed because it's absolutely not. There's a scene where a black man <laughs> disappears into a couch because the scene uh. is poorly lit, but. <laughs> um, but Hugh, Hugh Jackman. But Hugh but Jackman. Hugh Jackman. Um, yes. Yeah, so anyway, my point being, Pasek and Paul are not that great, and Dear Evan Hansen, I don't love it. However, with your original question, I would always rather, I appreciate that the filmed adaptations, or the filmed stage musicals exist. I think that's really important, because obviously, not everyone can reach Broadway, uh, can can get there, can afford to go, and will have the chance to see uh, these shows. So it's great that they're being filmed, and it's great that they're getting out there. Unreal. My understanding, though, is that if you can make mm-hmm. it there, you can make it anywhere. <laughs> I hate you, Jeff. Okay, yeah. <laughs> finish what you're saying. Um, right no, <laughs> it's it's great that they're getting out there, and it's great that they're getting out there on uh, real streaming services, like s- streaming services that people actually have, and not just like the Broadway World streaming service, um, which people are less likely to have. So I'm glad about that. However, I love a movie musical. Um, I wasn't excited, or or I should say a filmed adaptation of a musical. I was not excited for West Side Story when the first trailer came out, but I am excited now after having seen that two plus minute trailer, um, just because it's really giving me that saturated, um, that saturated look that I love from old musicals, from the old MGM era, from the musicals that came out in the 1950s. Um, and so I am really excited to see that. And I want more of that on screen. I firmly believe that coming out of this pandemic time, this pandemic era, um, people want nice, happy, bubbly things. Like we want more greatest showmans. Uh, West Side Story isn't quite that nice, happy, bubbly <laughs> show, but you see my point. Like we want color. We want songs. I want more Bill Condon stuff like on screen. Bill Condon was one of the producers. Of yeah. He was an executive producer Way. of Comfortably. Yeah. 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 And he, um, yeah. And I just, I want more stuff like this on screen. Got it. Uh, Devendra, I'm curious. Do you have, do you have any kind of preference? And by the way, I should point out, <laughs> I am watching Dear Evan Hansen. 
I am going to render an opinion on it and what we've been I, watching. I do think we all kind of have to watch that monstrosity. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the reviews yeah. coming out of that movie just sound like, yeah. who who would make this? Yeah. How did it, this get made? I Yeah, we got to... But it will, it, will not, it will probably not be our main review for next week. So, <laughs> uh, But yes, I just want to call that out because I'm, I'm looking... I, I need to see it. I need to see You need how to weird see the is. horror. I need yeah. to see how weird it is. Anyway, okay. So Devendra, do you have any preference for like these kind of live film shows versus like a movie-fied version of it? No, not really. Like, it, <laughs> I, I think ultimately, I think a movie adaptation and something that really takes advantage of what movies do best, you know, and uh, the, the language of cinema, I think would work better. Um, but occasionally, like, yeah, Hamilton worked really well because it's going to be a long time before we actually see a cinematic adaptation of that. And that's going to be a whole other thing. Uh, but also, I think the stage show is fantastic. So in that respect, I like seeing it. Typically, I'm more into adaptations, though. And even then, like, I'm just not a musical guy. That's just not me. Um, but hey, I, I like La La Land, too. So it depends. I take them on a case-by-case basis. Devendra, <laughs> I, I say this, like, completely genuinely, no sarcasm. I appreciate you taking a chance with this one. Um, thanks for checking it out. Yep. And, um, but, Jeff, I feel like filmed adaptations in this case, or not filmed adaptation, this would be a filmed stage show, really gives you the opportunity to appreciate the staging, right? Yeah, in a way that, yeah, yeah. And, and, and I love like, it. You appreciate the ingenuity, the energy that it takes to like put this on and have it happen without a hitch in the, the course of two hours. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like the hit rate for these filmed stage shows is higher than for mm. movie-fied versions of musicals, right? Like you only do it for the really successful ones, right? So. Well, that's right. true too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good point. Uh, yeah, I much prefer seeing a very well-filmed stage production, which is not an easy thing to do, by the Correct. way. Yeah. I was very impressed with "Come From Away" from a directorial standpoint, and I mean, not not even a stage direction, but where the cameras are placed how it was edited, what we are, what we see at any given moment. Um, there were a couple of uh, moments where I recall uh, the, the camera showing us a glimpse of an actor far upstage, uh, you know, uh, sort of out of the, the spotlight, f- 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 as it were, um, but reacting in some interesting way. And the camera caught it and they edited it in. And, you know, when you're sitting in the audience of a, of a, in the theater, your eye can go anywhere. You can watch anybody who's on stage. You don't have to be watching the person who's speaking or in this case, singing. Uh, and that's part of the magic of the theater is that you get to be the director, right? To a certain extent, your eye can wander. Um, and I appreciate oftentimes when the stage, the film stage plays give us some of that and, uh, allow us to kind of see mm-hmm. the, the second layer back or the third layer deep of, of, of what's happening on, on stage. But also in Come From Away, there were a number of moments where the camera was positioned on the stage and we see the b- back of yeah. actors yeah. that the audience in a, you know, in a theater would never get a chance to see. And I thought that was a really cool choice and it actually heightened certain moments because of it. Um, I had, there were some truly surprising, like, traditional sitcom like over the show or not sitcom right, but like right. drama over the shoulder shots yeah 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 uh i i thought that all worked i'm gonna put this out there guys i think that if you do a filmed stage show the floor on how terrible it can be is is pretty high what i and what i mean by that is we've seen movie versions of musicals that have just been outright disasters over the course of the last 
I don't know, five to ten years. Sure. I'm specifically yeah. thinking of cats. Uh, and also, I would argue, like, uh, Nine, the Rob Marshall musical starring Daniel Day-Lewis. Oh, you know, yeah, that should have been was, good. Yeah. That should have been good. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm just uh-huh. saying, I'm just saying, like, if you if you make a movie version of a musical, it could be really, really terrible. Uh, but if you make a film version of a stage show, it it it, it might not be as as good as a movie possibly could be because it's inherently limited by the, the stage constraints. But it's also not going to be awful, in well, my opinion, it, it, because it already works. Right. Right. It's already right. been yeah. proven yeah. to work. Um, you, you know, someone's sitting in the audience. All you have to do is set up a tripod in the audience, and you've already got an experience that worked for somebody. To right? be fair, to be fair, this goes way beyond that, right? I, well, I would of say course. this: the quality of this stage show and the filming of it is is I would say not comparable to Hamilton, but like pretty pretty close in terms yes. of certainly in terms of the filming. Now, the stage show for Hamilton is probably way more elaborate, yeah. Um, than this, there, there are huge mm-hmm. sets there. This yeah, one has correct. chairs. Yeah. Correct, yeah. but in terms of the filming quality, like you had cameras in the right places to see the right emotional beats, um, and that's hard to do, as Jeff indicated. It, it I, is, it is yeah. not easy to do, but mm-hmm. but I think the the transforming it into a film in, in the Heights style or Cats style uh, is fraught with more peril because the <laughs> opportunities afforded you are tempting in ways that lead you down very bad paths. Yes. So I think ill-conceived ideas. <laughs> I think In the Heights is actually the perfect example of that because with the ex- with the exception of 98,000 and then um the song uh gr- the grandmother's song as yeah. she's dying mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with the exception of those two things I would have rather just seen a filmed version of the musical and not a long Ad for American Express, like small business Saturdays. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, ninety-eight thousand so is great because it's in the pool. That's the no, one in the pool, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. That's awesome. Great yeah. number. Great number. Yeah. Um, I, I, I maybe you could tell. Like, I didn't hate In the Heights the movie, but like, it wasn't In the Heights the stage show. Mm, mm, yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, yeah. So real, real mixed bag. I think we were overall pretty positive on in the heights on this podcast, but I, I uh, liked it. I, I like it, especially because it actually did a lot of stuff actually in the city too. So like the opening yes. number in the middle of the street, like I don't care how great your stage is. It's not the middle of a New York street, you know? So like that, mm-hmm. just that imagery looked really good, but yeah, yeah. I don't watch oh, I, enough musicals. Well, so you're, Spiel- the, you're the better critic here. Kendra. I think yeah. Spielberg is going to have something to say to you. I, <laughs> I, I hope <laughs> I hope so, and also I, I hope he has something to say about Latino representation. In, uh, yeah, in that, yeah. I, I think that a part of the problem we're kind of talking around is that there's a level of artifice that is that seems natural when you are filming something on a stage. Yes, mm-hmm. and yes. when you set up a camera in a naturalistic way on a city street or in a building or whatever, where you know, normal non-musical films are made. <laughs> yeah. The, that level of artist artifice sometimes feels false and almost embarrassing, right? There's something that we, it's almost a, an uncanny valley of right. uh, mm-hmm. tone, right? And, uh, and I think it's much easier to just, hey, we're on a stage, we're already, there's already a level of imagination that needs to be employed to buy this, as happening to these people anyway, right? Because there's no fourth wall. There's all these, many of the props are, you know, not realistic. It's, it's already this abstraction. And so, um, you know, breaking into song doesn't 
you don't need to sell it in quite the same way. I, so it, I may, agree. it may be an unfair comparison in, in a lot of ways. I, I agree. And also I think the way you put it, Jeff, was really well well put about like it's just it's just much riskier, right? There's just yeah. so many more options afforded to you and therefore yeah, more you can, options to take the wrong path. You can right? CG the cat skins on, yes. you know? <laughs> you can put the cat buttholes in or not. It's up to you. So. Yeah. But at the end of the day, folks, it's pretty impressive that director Christopher Ashley made a filmed version of the Comfort Boy musical. So I'm just going to put that out there. I mean, it's pretty impressive. It was able to be done at all. So I guess that that alone is the thing. Like seeing this thing opens with just the crowds in, you know, uh, in front of the Broadway theaters. And I used to hate walking around Times Square and like dodging all those folks uh, when I was going to press screenings and whatnot. And now I just miss it. I miss that whole hustle and bustle. I miss like people just lining up and asking him like, what do, what are you waiting here to see? Uh, which is always the fun thing to ask people in a line in New York. Um, I miss all of that. So yeah, yeah. I was, yeah, I was wondering if you would get any like feels from just, I, I, I got feels. I didn't even, I've never lived in New York. I got feels just watching like the opening of them going back to yep. the theater. Yeah. You know? yep. uh, I wish very, there was actually more of that in this. Mm-hmm. I, I wish you yeah. could have mm-hmm. seen a bit, a bit. I wish they had married a little bit of um, making of with yeah. it, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, um, well, I think that's going to bring us to the end of our review of Come From Away. Uh, this has been a podcast episode of The Filmcast. You can find more episodes of this show at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Stick around for the After Dark, available at patreon.com slash filmpodcast for what I anticipate will be a very interesting story about social media and sex toys. You can also uh, find <laughs> the work of... Uh, <laughs> of the the person who wrote our theme song at adamwarrock.bandcamp.com. Our our spoiler bumper is typically brought to you courtesy of YouTuber Kyle Corwith, and our weekly plugs music is brought to you by Noah Ross. Our guest today is a producer at Crooked Media. She's the author of a forthcoming memoir entitled Admissions. Kendra James, thanks so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Oh, no, thanks for having me. I love being here. Um, Gosh, I hope to come back for either Mission Impossible 7 or Top Gun 2 if Ooh. he ever allows them out of the vault. <laughs> May we Indeed. all live long enough to see that happen. Dear God, Indeed. please. Indeed. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. He watched the movies,